This episode of the Major Issues Podcast is brought to you by Comic Book Click at tpublic.com. Visit tpublic.com slash user slash comic book click to get exclusive one-of-a-kind merchandise including shirts, stickers, and phone cases all designed by us. Get your hands on the latest and greatest in comic book merchandise by going to tpublic.com slash user slash comic book click. And remember, you, yes you, are worthy. out there in comic book land my name is george serrano aka the don if you're listening to this you could only be here for one reason and it's a brand new episode of the major issues podcast brought to you by comic book click and as always i'm never alone sir please introduce yourself well 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 it is dan the comic book man people <laughs> dan the comic book man is here in studio dan how are you holding up during this crisis this pandemic if you will uh you know i'm doing a lot of uh distract things things like i'm watching some tv watching some movies reading some comics i'm I'm keeping my mind like a hamster wheel you know i'm trying to stay away from the news i know things are really bad out there but you know we just gotta gotta come together in these trying times you know 100 percent. there seems to be a lot of confusion in general as to how people should feel what they should think um but we're we're still trucking comic book click major issues podcast we're still bringing you uh exciting content each and every week it's unfortunate um most people during crisis trauma um stuff like this they seek comfort in each other and it's just it sucks that in this pandemic the only advice is to stay as far away from people (laughs) as possible but we are trying to do our best to come into each and every one of your lives once a week and uh, change up the topic a little bit. Um, yeah, man, because that's what we need. You know, we got to, like, this, this, right now, this social climate is just so anxiety-ridden. Like, everybody is, is paranoid. Everyone is, like, they go outside. As soon as they come back in, they take their shoes off. They spray themselves down with Lysol. They, like, take a bath and hand sanitizer. And it's, and I truly say just FaceTime your friends, FaceTime your family. Just try and have good conversations and stay away from all the news. Yeah, there seems to be a lot of essential versus non-essential, business versus the individual, company versus states, um, um, all of this stuff. But the only fight that we're interested here <laughs> nice segue. in the Major Issues podcast, thank you, I've been working all week on it. <laughs> that was a great, no, that was really a great segue. In my head, I'm like, yo. Where's he, he going with this? Yeah. <laughs> Where's he going with this? It's about to get political. <laughs> so... So, um, the only war we care about here is the war for which is worse, which was worse, the staple of the Major Issues podcast. Can you believe we've already had five of these? I can't believe that we've had, that that means that we've been doing this because we do them quarterly. Yeah. A year and, a year and some change. Yeah. We're about to hit, we hit two years in December. So, um, we decided to go back to a tried and true favorite, the comfort food of the Major Issues podcast, if you will, which was worse, where we take two maligned films and do our best to defend them against each other's onslaughts of, <laughs> of, of uh, I guess, maligned reviews and, and uh, 
bad. I mean, everything we talk everything from dialogue to uh, concept and directors and writers and all that kind of stuff. Um, the actual benefit of these episodes is for people who may have thought any one of these films was absolutely irredeemable to hear somebody talk passionately about them in the defense of the film. And oh, especially since we've done Catwoman and Electra. Yes. <laughs> well, we. We we did Ghostwriter Spirit of Vengeance and Fan Forstick. Like we've we've legit done what you guys consider the worst. Yes, we've we've spoken about and defended <laughs> some of the uh worst things to come to comic books and comic book media. Um and it's been a hell of a ride. But when it came to this episode of Which Was Worse, initially this was penciled in around the release of Black Widow. And unless you've been living under a rock, majority of Marvel's releases or any comic book releases as far as comic book or comic book media releases have been delayed. So we sat on whether or not to do this. But like you say, the show must go on. We still got content to produce. We still the podcasters we know and love. So let's go on and try to figure out which was worse because we decided with Black Widow coming out, we should look through the lexicon that is the Marvel Cinematic Universe, find the two lowest rated or ranked Marvel films and pit them against each other. I say all that to say <laughs> that we don't hate the films that we're going to be talking about today. Oh, no. I, I, yeah, I want it as a disclaimer that both of us personally, we don't actually think these are like worse in a sense. It's just you have to when it comes down to the MCU, obviously, there's going to be some, you know, little hits and misses. Yes. And both of these are, you know, missteps, but obviously didn't derail the Marvel Cinematic Universe or these characters, you know? They, they, those oh, things not are at all. More, way more powerful than any single film. Um, and only when you have the embarrassment of riches that is the MCU. Only when you have 20 films that are amazing, <laughs> dealing with modern day, you know, folklore that is the superhero genre can you sit and talk about two films that even as i look at it now are in the high 60s on rotten tomatoes i think oh yeah it's not like the films that we chose were like 40 percenters 30 percenters 22 percenters these are still fresh yeah they're considered fresh on rotten the, the worst of the mcu is still considered fresh and I think isn't that we, awesome though yeah it is and i think that we've done before between like fan four stick and stuff things that have gotten 14 percent 20 you know six or something oh, yeah, yeah the, mostly the pick movies we stuff. picked were like i even think well maybe i think iron man 3 was the only one that we picked that was fresh in a sense yeah but that's gotten it's it's gotten it's kicking since its release I, the first time i mean that's a billion dollar film you know and yeah, it, it, it did what it had to do. It made its money at the box office. But when push came to shove and people thought about it a little bit after the fact, they were like, wait a minute. <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> I can't believe I had to defend that. Now, you are going to be the one talking about Incredible Hulk. But prior to us even having this episode, you've always stated that Incredible Hulk was one of your favorite Marvel films. Oh, yeah. When it comes down to phase one, I have to say it's my favorite phase one film. Oh, wow. it, it, okay. it it hits me in the thing was is all i had growing up was the hulk video games or any cartoons of the hulk i hated ang lee's hulk and hulk is one of my favorite characters in marvel like in general he's he's an awesome complicated dr jekyll mr hyde type character and edward norton as a movie buff 
one of my favorite actors. So right. you're giving me William Hurt, Tim Roth, Edward Norton, Tim Blake Nelson, uh, Liv Tyler, you know, all in a movie together like this. How could you go wrong? So, yeah, I've, I've always had a special place in my heart for The Incredible Hulk. And it's a, it's a bit of, of a redheaded stepchild. You know, it was released under Paramount through whatever legal loopholes they have of, as far as owning the Hulk property. There's a bunch saying that Paramount still owns the right to make a single Hulk film, like a, a Hulk solo film. And that's why Marvel hasn't been able to capitalize on uh, Mark Ruffalo's popularity as uh, Bruce Banner. They have not been able to make a solo film. So we were told throughout the MCU. Think that, Go ahead, brother. Do you think Mark Ruffalo could do a solo Hulk film? Like, would you watch just Mark Ruffalo being a solo Bruce Banner, solo Hulk, as opposed to Edward Norton doing this one? So I can answer that question, but I'm going to answer it later. Because I think, I I think, think that, yeah. I think that um, there's a fundamental issue with all Hulk films that kind of handicap it. And uh, when we'll get there, uh, we'll we talk have about, to see Hulk. Yeah, we have though. We have to see Hulk and the whole. I don't want to be Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Um, and and that's not you know that's the character flaw. Um, I just don't think and we keep trying to start him from the beginning. So there's nowhere else to go from there. It's like if you did Wolverine again, we're gonna do um, you know, lack of Alkali memory, Lake Alkali and... Lake, yeah, uh, Weapon X, Striker. You understand? So it's just like it's the Batman's parents. Peter Parker's uncle dies. Yes. Crunch. Yeah. Yeah. It's like oh, I don't. I don't know. I can't control it, and all that kind of stuff. But um, what we do here as part of which is which was worse is we read the synopsis of the plot via Wikipedia just to make sure there's no bias placed in there. Um, just so and to also refresh you guys in case you haven't seen the film in a while as to the events of the film. And then we do our best to tear each other's film to shreds while the other guy <laughs> does his best to defend against, uh, you know. Oh, man. And I told you a lot off air that this one was going to be my hardest, which was worse. And it's yeah. not even that that they're both just really good films to me. I Thor is my favorite of the Thor trilogy. Thor Dark World. I mean, Thor Dark World. This one is like, this is my sweet spot with Thor. This is a perfect Thor movie to me. Right. So this is going to be really hard to tear it to pieces because it's like I'm grasping at straws and probably going to be saying what everybody else thinks. Well, that's another big thing, right? It, it would be absolutely easy, a piece of pie for us to come on here and just talk about the movies we like. <laughs> right? We do that you know, normally once a week. The yeah. idea that we would have to twist and conform our minds around the, the, the indefensible and have to come up with something, have to come up with ideas, stretching your mind. Stretching your logic, stretching your fandom <laughs> to cover these the bases, um, I think is an extremely cool exercise. <laughs> Even if I, I honestly think that I have my own bit of gratitude towards every bad film we've ever covered on, which is which was worse, just because of the the fervor in which we defended them. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh like, my God. maybe yeah. maybe I did miss that, or maybe I'm not giving that enough credit, but um. Sir, the floor is yours. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are starting with the 2008 Incredible Hulk starring Edward Norton, Liv Tyler, Tim Roth, and William Hurt. The Hulk plot synopsis goes, at Culver University in Virginia, General Thaddeus Thunderbolt Ross meets with Dr. Bruce Banner, the colleague and at the time boyfriend of his daughter, Elizabeth Ross. Regarding an experiment, 
that Ross it claims is meant to make humans immune to gamma radiation. The experiment, part of a World War II era super soldier program that Ross hopes to recreate, fails, and the exposure of gamma radiation causes Banner to transform into the Hulk for brief periods of time whenever his heart rate reaches of 200 beats per minute. The Hulk destroys the lab in the surrounding area, killing several people inside, injuring the general and Betty, along with others outside. Banner becomes a fugitive from the U.S. military, and Ross in particular, who wants to weaponize the Hulk. Five years later, Banner works at a bottling factory in Rocina, Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. I'm sorry for our hey, Brazilian good, fans. <laughs> I don't mean to butcher that. Right. Rocinha? Rocinha? So, while searching for the cure for his condition on the internet, he anonymously collaborates with a colleague known as Mr. Blue. He is learning yoga techniques to help keep control, and he has not transformed in five months. After Banner cuts his finger, a drop of blood falls into a bottle, which is eventually ingested by an elderly consumer in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, giving him gamma sickness. Does he die? Using the bottle... What? Does he die? I've been having a back and forth with my roommate about this. I don't think they said if he died. I think they just... He just said The woman sick? came in. Like, she came in with a dossier of this man was drinking a soda, and all of a sudden he has gamma poisoning. Maybe right. he is dying. Like, you know, you could... But it's it's the Stan Lee cameo, so let's let's not say he died. Let's just say he turned <laughs> into another Hulk. Okay, cool. <laughs> that, that's a good... <laughs> put that in the back of your mind. <laughs> Using the bottle to track down Banner, Ross sends a special forces team led by Emil Blonsky to capture him. Banner transforms into the Hulk and defeats Blonsky's team. After Ross explains how Banner became Hulk, Blonsky agrees to be injected with a small amount of a small amount of a similar serum, which gives him enhanced speed, strength, agility, and healing, but also begins to deform his skeleton and impairs his judgment. Was that the, was that the serum? I thought he was just crazy. <laughs> I guess uh, it is the serum, right? Well, I mean, he he he's Russian Marine Special Forces, born type, in Russia, so raised in England, something like that. Yeah, and he's like yeah. Special Forces, like MI six or something. So it's like maybe he was just always crazy. Like it's the same thing with um the Super Soldier Serum that happened. With oh Red yes, Skull. yes. What does he say? He turns good men great and bad men. Evil or something. Something like that? where it, it takes their their inner inhibitions and like turns it on their outside. Yeah, amplifies it. So, yeah, it emphasizes their your personality. That's why Steve turned to nice, big, strong Captain America. Right. Banner returns to Culver University and reunites with Betty. You know what? I just have to say, poor Betty. type rule. <laughs> I just have to say, poor type rule. Yes. He didn't do anything to deserve. No, this. he did not. But it's okay because I I hear he gets away and he raises a pretty modern family. (laughs) (laughs) Did you just come off that with the top of your head? Yes, I did, sir. Yes, I did. You are the man I miss you. All all cylinders today. I'm on all cylinders. (laughs) Yo, firing on all six of them. That's it. Banner is attacked the second time by Ross and Blonsky's forces. Tipped off by the suspicious Samson, causing him to again transform into the Hulk. The ensuing battle outside the university proves futile for Ross's forces, and they retreat. Though Blonsky, whose sanity is 
faltering, attacks and mocks the Hulk. The Hulk severely injures Blonsky and flees with Betty. After the Hulk reverts to Banner, he and Betty go on the run, and Banner contacts Mr. Blue, who urges them to meet him in New York City. Mr. Blue is, is actually cellular bi- biologist Samuel Stearns, Dr. Samuel Stearns, who tells mm-hmm. Banner that he's developed a possible antidote to Banner's condition. After a successful test, he warns Banner that the antidote may only reverse each individual transformation. Wait, what? And you know what? I mean, man. No, that's what happens. Because reveals- there's a there's a there's a question about whether or not um, he would be cured for good or he'll be cured because of the outbreak. Like when you take an inhaler. I just think that that's just plot convenience, to be honest with you. It, it kind of is because you get to the point with the with the jumping out of the plane and it's like. He kind he if he thought that that there was more chance that he was cured than he was just suppressed he wouldn't have just jumped out of a fucking plane but we'll get there. We will get there. Stearns reveals that he has synthesized Banner's blood samples, which Banner sent from Brazil into a large supply with the intention of, of applying it of applying its limitless potential to medicine. Fearful of Hulk's power failing and falling into the military's hands, Banner wishes to destroy the blood supply. A recovered Blonsky joins Ross's forces for a third attempt to take down to take Banner into custody. They succeed, and Banner and Betty are taken away in a helicopter. Blonsky stays behind and orders Stearns to inject him with Banner's blood as he covets the Hulk's powers. The experiment mutates Blonsky into Abomination, a creature with the size and strength surpassing that of the Hulk. He attacks Stearns, who gets some of Banner's blood blood and in a cut in his forehead, causing him to begin mutating as well. In his new monstrous form, Blonsky rampages through Harlem. Realizing that Hulk is the only one who can stop Blonsky, Banner convinces Ross to release him. He jumps from Ross's helicopter and transforms after hitting the ground. After a battle throughout Harlem, the Hulk defeats Blonsky by nearly strangling him to death with a chain, but spares his life upon hearing Betty's plea. And leaves Blonsky for Ross and his forces to arrest. After having a peaceful moment with Betty, the Hulk flees New York. A month later, Banner is in Bellaculia, British Columbia. Beautiful. Instead of suppressing his transformation, he begins to transform into a controlled manner with a slight smart. Uh, cut to an end credit scene and we have Tony Stark approaching Ross in a bar and informs him that a team is being put together. So, uh, candidly, what did you? What things did you like that you didn't remember about this film? Uh, honestly, William Hurt killing this fucking performance. Yeah, like when I like like when um Banner was asking him to to release me. I'm the only one that can stop him, and, and Ross is like, but what if you can't? Oh yeah. And I'm like, yo, he's like he's he was chewing the scenery the way Kate Blanchett was chewing the scenery in Ragnarok. Like every time Ross was on scene, he wasn't calm, which helped set up his more calm nature in Civil War, where he's not yelling, he's not he's not like cursing people out. He's just methodically saying, you know, we owe you a debt of gratitude, but you're still, you know, criminal. Like it's great to see how much more calmed down he is from what he used to be. Other things that got me is 
I forgot how quickly paced this movie was. A lot of the complaints I remember over the years was people saying that this movie was long okay. or long feeling. Like it felt slow. Like we like we spent too long at one scene. And I'm like, we only spent like 20 minutes in Brazil. We only spent like 10 minutes or five minutes in Mr. Blue's, you know, warehouse. Like, you know, yeah. we're getting where we have to go. It does. It does. It does have a little gas behind it. I could. I could. Yeah, like there is some pacing, and then uh, obviously Tim Roth. Tim Roth will always be the man to me in everything he does. Right. Right. So. No, I. I really. I actually forgot. I guess because this is probably one of the films I revisit the least. Um, I forgot Emil Blonsky is a hell of a character. Like he's just. Mm -hmm. He's a hell of a character. Like when he was like flipping out, like, like um. I just saw that man throw throw a forklift like a softball. I'm like, yeah. yo, do it, bro. Eat the scenery. <laughs> I, there's one thing that I can't complain about is when I notice actors or a director or directing an actor to have fun. Yes. Not fun like comedy joking, but like if you're going to be that character, go into that character. Right. And I see it a lot in these MCU films. Say what you will about the dialogue or the writing. These actors are having the funnest time they've ever had on a movie set. Yeah, yeah. I can and totally I'm, see that. I'm here for it. I, Batista, big one. Him as Drax. Everyone's like Guardians of the Galaxy like you know, or Volume 2 where he started being too comedical. And too, I'm like, bro, he's having fun. How are you going <laughs> to tell somebody I think the main that issue, they can't have fun? I think the main issue with Hulk is they didn't wait for Iron Man to come out and see what worked and what didn't. And that's why it kind of feels like those two movies were made in two different rooms. And then you try to put them together. Whereas I think the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe kind of all becomes the same kind of flavor of ice cream, just different alterations, you know? Well, this is the second MCU movie officially. But, but it also came two. out the same time, at, like, the, like two or three months apart from Iron Man. Maybe but you could less. also put it to the fact that this was Paramount Universal. So yeah, what if yeah. they? What if this was their script and a lot of the tie-ins for the MCU was just rewrites? Yeah, they made their frozen yogurt, and I could tell it's not ice cream. You know? Yeah, exactly. It's it's froyo. I'm, that's how you know we're in the bad place. <laughs> um, are you ready for the onslaught? Because I'm a, I'm, a, I'm I need to tell some people out there who love the Incredible Hulk. What's you know wrong what? with go, the Incredible go ahead, Hulk? Tell, tell me what's wrong with the Incredible Hulk. Okay, first of all, we we let's start at the very beginning because you got <laughs> you got that exposition by credits in the beginning, <laughs> right? Listen, so I found out that the producer uh, Gail Ann Hurd called this film a requel because it's a little bit of a reboot and a little bit of a sequel. You know what that means? It's nothing. <laughs> That's what that means. Because <laughs> the result ends up being like a little mishmash of what we know from Ang Lee's Hulk and then all this new information given to us at like light speed with these opening credits. Like I said, it's the same studio. This is a studio trying to... This was a studio that was originally looking for a sequel and ended up selling their script to Disney. And you have this weird thing of like, the first thing that we see seems to be a new origin. Right? Like, everything you said. Um, they were testing something, and it just went wrong. And Yeah, then... that's what happened. I remember in Ang Lee's Hulk was that he was going... It was like the Dr. Manhattan thing. He was going in to get his watch, and the particle... Oh, yeah, that's that's off. usually what it is. But in this, he, he was strapped to a table. No, he volunteered. Yeah, yeah, this was him just volunteering, and then whoops, something happened. 
uh, and I'll get to the issue with that in a bit. But um, we get like this opening tutorial of sorts <laughs> in the beginning of the. That film. was a pretty. It was pretty weird. There was no dialogue. It was all. It was like a like a moving pictures. Like right. And you see Bruce experiments on himself. He hulks out. He hurts the Rosses, and then General Ross wants to capture him and stuff. But I think that the credits. I told you this off off air. The credits bury the lead of uh, Ross getting or signing a contract with Stark Industries in hopes to get weaponry to stop the Hulk. I thought that was like really cool, like a little cool connective t- tissue Easter egg kind of deal, which makes their which makes their conversation at the end even better because it's like. Bro, I know you called me because you had that problem. I gave you what you said you needed, and you telling me you still got that issue. Like, what's going? You know, and that's like, the whole thing that on? I was telling you about the setup. That's like they didn't know where they were gonna go yet with these Easter eggs, so they didn't want to go too far with it. Like, but imagine we seeing Stark Industries. Imagine the world in which, let's say, it was still Mark Ruffalo. Mark Ruffalo's um, Mark Ruffalo was in this film, or uh, Norton was in Avengers, and when Hulk finds out that Stark helped ross you know like that that's a thing that's a little a friction if you will you know that should have been a friction that was touched upon but it's not the same guy so they don't they don't they don't refer back to ross until civil war which is the 20 the 15th 18th movie in the, in the franchise uh so it's about like, the 15th yeah yeah so it's like yeah um so i was also thinking to myself why hasn't the military itself fabricated the same line general ross did about banner having military secrets and becoming an enemy of the state this seems to be like a secret manhunt and no one seems to know what happened like they they're hunting down banner but for what you saw the newspaper clippings they didn't say scientist runs off with secrets government help the government find him without anybody else's help the government is secretly trying to find a needle in a haystack but if they do the Bucky thing, right? Remember when um, Zemo put Bucky on the news? He puts yeah. Bucky on the news and then everyone's looking. And then when they see him buying peaches, <laughs> they call somebody. Which would... Well, it, you know what it is? It's that evil, it's that evil government man like architect, that archetype. It's the same thing with X-Men Origins. You know, uh, Stryker wasn't telling anybody in the government. The only one general knew what he was doing and he killed him. Yeah, you're right. When it was that's, failing. That's looking at probably something you shouldn't <laughs> and trying to copy the homework of it you know oh no definitely yeah um so but, oh go ahead brother no no i i was just uh grunting oh no i was just saying like i i was wondering why ross would enlist the help of others to help find this guy if he's that dangerous um and in the credits you see that shield knew and was also helping hunt him down um but we didn't know what shield was we saw you know they referenced shield in iron man one with uh, Clark Gregg as Coulson. But past that, we don't really get much of why S.H.I.E.L.D. would be hunting this man and why S.H.I.E.L.D. would fail. Ultimately, S.H.I.E.L.D. tries again in 2012 with the Avengers and gets him pretty easily. You know? So what? What? <laughs> you know, like, what was the... the reason... The, like, I'm, I'm, go- I'm gonna still say... I know, it's me, it's a cop-out, but I... As a second film in this kind of goliath of a franchise they didn't know whether where they fully wanted to go yet they were still getting their footing and uh, you can see it in you don't like man of steel and in man of steel there was a lot of setups for bvs yeah you get wayne enterprises uh easter eggs you get lex corp easter eggs you know that there's other people out there 
from the like, the dialogue with uh, Russell Crowe. Like, they set so much up in Man of Steel that when we got BVS, a lot of the fans didn't like it. Yeah, you know. And this like, one doesn't really set up anything. And the fans still don't like right? it. We were talking off air, right? And we were saying that we were going to try to do our best to not mention other films that make our films that we're defending better. But just like you said, there's a possibility of a sequel making the first worse. You know, it's depending on what what happens. And I think that's ultimately what ends up happening because of the better films of the MCU. That's why our, our films in this episode are maligned because things got better. This could have been the best, right? <laughs> if things got worse. Oh, this, this this was sloppy writing, but because, like I said, they, they don't, they, they weren't confident. They probably weren't confident in themselves. So what's, they probably weren't that confident. What's stopping Banner from testifying against Ross? I guess word uh credibility. He he'd be like yeah, a but general, he, but then he could just be like a no name scientist. But he can prove it, <laughs> right? He can prove what he's saying is real. You yeah, know? but he would also have to get he would also have to get near courtroom without having to fight the Hulkbuster. You got to do the Snowden thing. You got to like go to another country and then tell that government all that happened. You know? Because I'm like, I get, I get that it's, I get that it's Ross's word against Banners, but Ross is also the person with a secret military team on a manhood. You know? But this is where my opinion differs from yours. I actually think that although he did a great job, the character of General Ross is completely ineffective. <laughs> He's completely ineffective, bro. But wouldn't wouldn't that be the? But that's that's the point. You would you wouldn't want to see a, a Hulk movie, not anybody else. A Hulk movie, him at, at like um basically a, a a rat in a corner. Yeah. Always trapped, never being able to get out of a situation. How how boring would it have been if if Banner was captured in in Rio? I, or if he was captured on the campus. But the th- the hoops they have to get through so that he's not, I don't think, make Ross look very smart. And but it it, 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 it sucks, right? Because you have to you have to make a, to But you don't get you don't get there without some sort of tact, right? Unless he's he just have, a brown noser his whole he career. Military strategy. Well, yeah. I mean look, I'm not I would never like assume how military works but hasn't there been a couple of brown nosers that want to be higher in your platoon definitely but i don't think they get to general general's like huge general's a huge position to have and i feel like the movie and past interpretations of the of of this story um paint ross as a kind of captain ahab figure right like i have to get oh no they they definitely paint him as as hulk as his white whale yeah but to me in this film Blonsky has more of that Captain Ahab mentality, that foaming at the mouth. I don't care if I live or die; he has to go down, kind of but, stuff. But Blonsky's, but Blonsky's, uh, uh, Captain Ahab uh, mentality isn't for Hulk itself; it's for Hulk's powers, and that's where no, but it gets it's to Hulk itself because he wants to beat him up. Even when he gets reinjected and he finds Banner, he says, "Where is he? Where is he? Bring him out!" And then he punches him in the face. Once he realizes he's gonna go to sleep, because he wanted a challenge, he said, "Bring me somebody." But that's what I'm that, saying. He wants the challenge. challenge more than the powers. He, once he saw who the Hulk was, he wanted that. Then when he got but it, it he wanted to prove it, that he it was. It wasn't on top about of a it. personal matter of taking down Banner with Ross. 
this was a personal. That's matter. why I'm this saying. Like, so shouldn't his fire be brighter than Blonsky's? Shouldn't his anger? Well, he's, also and an his... Old, he's also an old man who, who, if he needed to, he has the like. Yes, this is his his fire burning is the fact that he keeps going everywhere that that banner is. He keeps hiring these teams. He gets as many good men as he can. He can't do it himself. Would you want to see old ass William Hurt do what what Blonsky was doing? No, but I would like Just to, to see... prove that he's smarter and strategic. I would like to see him be a little bit more crazed. This is this is the the threat of the Hulk is is as he says in Civil War like a nuke, and the fact that he keeps losing this nuke should should account for something. I actually think what would have made this film better is if Ross would have had a higher up. Somebody to put pressure Someone on him. he had to answer to? Yes, that kept putting pressure on him. That kept saying, are you fucking kidding me? Like, you still can't find him? You, I'll have your, well, I'll have your, strap, your stripes for this it. or whatever this. You know? We but didn't he, get these higher-ups until Avengers. But that's what's where weird you find is out that... At the end of the movie, Fury is answering to somebody. Without higher-ups, this is just a passion project for Ross. This is just something he does. But you also said it yourself that he's not telling anybody else... That, the, that's what that's what I'm saying. Government that he's that's what I'm so saying. So without pa- so without anybody without anybody knowing, it's just something he does every day. And if he fails, no one knows. And if he succeeds, no one knows. So there's no stakes. But if he was threatened, listen, you're 20 years, 25 years in this service. I will wipe that clean. If you cannot handle this issue, oh, I will make you an enemy make- of the state if you don't go after Banner. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, they, there's no, there's no fire. They, I, there is a. No I have to get him, why. but it's more so like I'm mad because you hurt my daughter, and then the daughter's like, I love him, Daddy, and then the thus <laughs> extinguished. You know, so it's like I feel like if he would have had a boss, things would have added a little bit more because, like, I, why isn't he admonished for his failings? When we get to Civil War, he's promoted. He didn't catch the Hulk. He still didn't catch the Hulk. Yeah, what? what, what yeah, he's not even. He's what is he? Secretary of Defense by the time Civil War comes out. Yeah, and I'm just like, what is? Jeez. What's going on with this? But let's talk about your man. Yeah, Bruce how did you become Secretary bit. of Defense when you botched getting the Hulk, the Hulk? When you botched the Hulk thing. But let's talk about let's talk about your boy Bruce Banner for a little bit. All right, I'm not even going to talk about Ed Norton right now. I'm oh, talking about Bruce Banner for a little bit. Why is your boy Banner? The man on the run flirting with locals, bro. What's he doing? Listen, man. What's he doing? Bro, What's he doing out there, man? That woman is gorgeous. She is. Okay. She is. And the kind that of person that probably gorgeous. knows a lot of people. And the kind of person that would tell a lot of people about her cute co-worker that's hitting on her. Oh, yeah. He's American. I don't know. He came out of nowhere a couple months ago. And then get got, bro. Come on. What you doing out here? Can't be doing that all, It's all kind that. of funny because she has, a, a, she has an actual like head credit. In the movie, oh, really? <laughs> Deborah, Deborah Nascimento. Oh, that's funny. Nascimento, Deborah Nascimento. Yes. Martina. Yeah, I don't even think she says a, a single word. I think I she think just gives a bunch Spanish? of looks. Uh, Portuguese, I mean. She gives him a bunch of looks when he, she's being sexually harassed <laughs> by some man. It's kind of funny to me that she literally lives under him. Like when he was being yeah. like uh, found by the thunder, by the Hulkbuster, and his windows and he, like, open, jumps to the floor under him. Her window was wide open, and she's like, you know, regardless this. of whether yeah, or not she expected somebody open. to come down on a rope, everyone could still see. Like she's literally walking into her room while she's getting out the shower, putting on a robe and window wide open. Madness. Um, why 
is the third of this film, us suspensefully watching Bruce in an AOL chat room with Tim Blake Nelson. It's awesomeness. Is it? And it's Tim Blake Nelson is the kind of person I want to date because that guy texts back faster than anyone I have ever seen. <laughs> he's always available and he's always there to text back, bro. Meanwhile, Bruce is closing well, laptops on him and shit. Hermits. He's one of those conspiracy theorist hermits. Like, he doesn't go anywhere. You saw his lab. It's a lot of blood, bro. <laughs> he he, probably, he blood. was probably cooking up some ramen noodles, and all of a sudden, he hears a he hears a notification, slides his chair over, and like, oh, let me just type back real fast. And I'm guessing he found Tim Blake Nelson while he was in Brazil. I I see that was very unclear about it, and the the Wikipedia synopsis yeah. says it was a colleague. So that's what gets that's no that weird it can't be a it. colleague like, because when he sees him, he doesn't recognize him. No, I know. Like, so let me let me pull up it again because I odd. know it was like in like the last paragraph. Um, she he does recognize Betty. Where is it? The Hulk severely injures New York. No, damn it. Where is it? Culliver, Blonsky. I'm just trying to find out if encryption is something all computers have. That just loads up. You hit your encryption program and loads up to 100 and then... You're yeah, good to people go. be like typing like tick, 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 into a computer all of a sudden. I'm in. That's it. Like, wait, what? Um, what? Does it have a couple of keys and you're in? <laughs> let's, so, let's talk about Banner. All right. This Banner. Yeah. You know what my problem was about Mark Ruffalo Banner? He's a little big. He was he was confident. Okay. This was a confident... He... he he will, this is a bear that was like trying to flirt with Black Widow of all people. Yeah. He was a funny banner. He was a banner that people can like, but he was also I don't I don't want to do body shaming, but he was a bit chunky for he my like, banner. He looked like he could throw a punch or take a punch at least. He looked like he can eat a whole cake in one oh, sitting. And dear. That's, not, that's not that's not Mark not Ruffalo. <laughs> Mark Ruffalo is not that big. <laughs> He wasn't that big. I'm just being mean at this point. But, but no, like, yeah, he's when a I bit bigger. Saw Edward right. Norton, like skinny like that. Like like he had to like tie his pants around with a rope. Like yeah. you see his arms like like looking all like lanky. I'm like, yo, that this, image looks good. This is Bruce Banner. Like, all right. The the image of him in in um like uh whatever country he was in, where he's like barefoot with his hands holding out and he's like homeless. Oh, yeah. I'm like, yo, that's Bruce Banner. That how can anybody who hasn't not read the comics even even watch the show Avengers Earth Mightiest Heroes or yeah. any of the Hulk versus watch Hulk versus Wolverine? You can't tell me that Edward Norton didn't capture Banner perfectly to me. Like it's it was great. His hair, his his eyes were right, and he even gets a nice I, little trim up later by uh, Betty. And it's great because he was everything that we get with Mark Ruffalo's Banner was set up in this movie. Him learning how to control his anger. Why he was in another country. It's just such you know, a like, mixed uh, message, though, when you have these three seemingly depictions. Uh, Banner, um, Norton, and now Ruffalo. Ruffalo. And they're all supposed to be the same person. Yeah, like, like I, was look, I was looking at them, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, Edward Norton's Hulk, not Banner, his Hulk, that's the smallest Hulk I've ever seen. Oh, the Hulk is the small. They yeah. said they said that they were not going to make him bigger. They were not going to make him 
the kind of Hulk that when he got angrier, he got larger, is what I'm saying. They made him pretty yeah, lean so you could see the muscle fibers and the, the definition. Voltron, he was huge. He yeah, was but huge in Age of Ultron. Oh, no, no. I mean, in this film specifically. In oh, this, this film, film specifically, they, may, they went out of their way to make sure that they didn't make him too big, too uh, balloony, you know, like too... No, well, it's it's not even about the the the, um, the stockiness of him. It was the height. Ah, like Blonsky came up. No joke, Blonsky came up to to his pecs. Yeah, Blonsky should have came up to his like mid mid to upper abs. There's no way that this man should be able to look at your chest eye to eye. Like that was crazy. This was a small Hulk. That's and probably I, I didn't mind. I don't. Here. I don't mind the small Hulk. I mind the small Hulk. Uh, doing parkour through Brazil and getting away from special forces agents. <laughs> yeah, special you, you forces I, agents. I know bro. I'm supposed to defend. I'm not supposed to be defending this, but Banner doing parkour through the slums of Rio de Janeiro. I mean, the only way I could defend it is he's been there for five years. Yeah. So that's what I was trying. I, I was I, trying I, to defend it as that, like maybe he knows the terrain more. But I'm like, these are special forces guys. Like, what the hell? I would yeah, be fired. I would yeah, be fired on the spot if seven of us couldn't catch one man with no weapons. I mean, in Fast and the Furious Five, they couldn't catch a bunch of car thieves, and these people were also special forces. So maybe uh, it's just Brazil has a thing with. They like with, to dumb down the, the military government. in some of these movies. Look at Transformers. <laughs> you know, the military doesn't oh know what the God. hell to do half the time. <sighs> oh, that's but. But, but, but look, what else can we talk? What else? we gonna talk about? We gonna talk about? We gonna talk about your boy Norton? All right, because we told the whole time it's like, uh, is Banner a monster? Is Blonsky a monster? No, Norton is the true monster behind the scenes. Oh God, the true monster. You see, director Louis Letterer is that? Am I saying that right? Letterer, Letora, Letter, Letterer. People are yelling at us right now. (laughs) Um, The director wanted Mark Ruffalo for the role of Bruce Banner. Marvel chose Ed Norton. Like Mark Ruffalo was the original choice. Yes. Marvel chose Ed Norton. Huh. Huh. Um, well, according, I just gotta give it to Marvel. <laughs> according to Tim Roth, Ed Norton rewrote scenes every day. Every day he would rewrite scenes as they shot. Um, Bruce Banner sidekick Rick Jones was present in early drafts of this script, but ended up being removed once Edward Norton rewrote the script. Now the issue with this is in the Incredible Hulk comic, Rick Jones was an orphan who drove out to the weapons testing site on a dare. Rick is unaware that the gamma bomb is going to go off, but is saved by Bruce. Bruce sees somebody in the distance and he runs out there to go save that guy. When he goes to go save him, Bruce gets hit with the gamma radiation. He becomes the Hulk and Rick, racked with guilt, stays Bruce's best friend from there on. Was that Hulk's original, like, actual origin? Yes. So this makes Bruce a sympathetic figure instead of just a scientist who fucked up. (laughs) <laughs> All right, now look at that open. Now look at that opening credits position. Yeah. Now throw a best friend in there. I mean, you don't need. Now that, I, I'm saying to look like a comedy. But what I'm saying is, you don't need any of the exposition. You know, you can just do if you're gonna do the redo the origin, redo it. But we don't have a full origin. We have clips of an origin, and we're supposed to super glue those clips with Ang Lee's Hulk movie. But if you don't, if you don't know the Hulk lore. You're wondering why Bruce Banner is being hooked up, hooked up to this kind of stuff. And as a matter of fact, it makes General Ross even more of an asshole because Bruce didn't even know what Ross was up to with the, with the whole gamma radiation testing and all that shit anyway. Yeah, see, that's the difference. I think in Ang Lee's Hulk, if I'm not mistaken, he 
uh, Banner knew what the experiment was because he was working on the experiment. Right. Like, same with same with this Rick it. Jones one. He knows exactly what's happening. He's been working on it. It's just that he he saw us uh, innocent out there. And like you said, like in Ang Lee's, he gets stuck because he tries to do something, ends up getting stuck, and then push comes to shove with that. So I'm just like, that makes him more of a hero to me. Like, if that were to happen, instead of just, whoops, I messed up with science. Yeah, but they gave him his hero moments. They had, all right, here we go. When he's in the bottling company, and that girl that he, his coworker, is being, like, harassed by three men, he knows who he is on the inside. He knows that 200 beats per minute, he's turning into the Hulk, and he still, still manages to try and rescue that girl from being harassed. You can't tell me that's not a hero. If you know full well that you're going to turn into the Hulk, and you still try and get into confrontation, that's a hero moment to me. I, I agree that it's a hero moment, but I, I also would say that it's one of the most tropiest of hero moments, especially now in 2020. I don't know how big it was in 2018, but how often was it was there a situation where somebody's getting accosted in an alley and the hero walks across the street and has to think for a second. Are they going to... Oh, they've done that all the way back in Spider-Man 1 with Mary Jane. You know what I said? Are they going they to do it, something? You know, or And they do it in Spider-Man 2 where he doesn't help, returns. remember? In Spider-Man 2, he doesn't help because he gave up being Spider-Man. He just lets the person be accosted. Great they stuff. even did it in Batman Returns with Catwoman where she ends up almost fighting the girl that was being accosted. Yeah. Yeah. And so... So yeah, it is a, it is a trope of the hero saves somebody in a dark alley. But it was still there's there's so much more stakes when you're Spider-Man, when you're Batman, you know, you know that I'm not actually going to lose control and kill somebody. When you're Superman, you know, if I lose control, I will kill somebody. But when you are Banner and you know without a shadow of a doubt that you can't even make out with a girl without turning into the Hulk. Once again, that's that's just a good scene to me. I like that scene. I'll give you Ed Norton this. He does have the distinction of being the only MCU character in history to ingest and then pass a flash drive. <laughs> uh, which, which he then uses on an open and available computer in a gas station. You know? I like mean, all the other gas stations. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. The, all the other gas stations like with computers <laughs> that, you stick, <laughs> oh, yeah. that you stick the USB into the keyboard. You know? And then you just send your blood samples and then you leave. You pick, Listen, get your slim. Man, you get your slim gym. Hey, let me get a slim gym. I gotta send an email and put twenty dollars on pump three. That's how it is. Okay, and using an Apple Store for a very important flash drive in Winter Soldier isn't that kind of same thing. But there's a reason why that laptop is there, and Black Widow's a spy, so she would be able to do that. <laughs> why is there a gas station computer? Yeah, I've never been to a gas station with a computer on, and they're in New York too. Ooh. And then you, if you're a fan of Norton, you know that it's widely known that Norton is the kind of guy that likes to call his own shots, even when he's not in charge. <laughs> because when he was filming uh, Red Dragon, he decided on his own that the screenplay wasn't enough. So he showed up on the set and wrote his own lines. Uh, when he showed up for to... No, he refused to star in the remake of Italian Job, even though he signed the contract. And they threatened a lawsuit, so then he showed back up. And uh, quite famously, he used his A-list talents to rewrite and re-edit, sorry, re-edit American History X and came up with his own cut, not the director's cut. The director wasn't even Wait a Wait a minute. Uh, by that point, the only thing that that man did was primal fear. How is he that high up on himself? I, look, I don't know. But... 97, he was in primal fear only. What is So what? <laughs> after watching the Norton cut of the film, studio executives decided the movie was too long and too plotty. 
they end up removing 70 minutes of this film. Jesus 70. Christ. 70 minutes. Um, they wanted more action, more excitement, and they wanted it to be shorter. I don't blame them. They, it didn't sit well with Norton. And then he had a meeting with Marvel Brass. And according to the director via Flash Film, a Slash Film, everyone at the meeting was screaming and stuff. And Edward was very vocal. <laughs> in 2010, shortly before the Avengers stars assembled at Comic-Con, Kevin Feige released a statement signaling the short-lived Norton era and saying it was over. And after saying Norton wasn't returning for Avengers, Feige said, Our decision is definitely not based on monetary factors, but instead rooted oh in the my need God. but instead rooted in the need for an actor who embodies the creativity and collaborative spirit of our talented cast members. So basically if you can't follow our formula, get the fuck out. I mean, listen, there's only one person that gets to that gets to have a, you know, uh throw a uh, a fit if they don't like what's going on. That's Robert Downey Jr. And if Robert Downey Jr. I mean, saying it's going one Edward, way, Edgar Wright. That's what I'm saying. If if they decide, if Robert Downey Jr. decides that there's a certain way to do things, and he gets into an argument with Ed Norton, what's happening? They're dropping Ed Norton. Yeah, bro. they're gonna end up taking Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> they're dropping Ed Norton. So they, you know, there's only one, there's only one prima donna on this cast, and it's fucking Robert Downey Jr. We don't got time. At for the end two. of the day, Iron Man through all three Iron Man movies are in the billions. It's the, the only two, MCU the, trilogy. The first Avengers. two, I'd argue, the first two is what propped up Phase One. You know, there's a lot of movies in there, but they're, they're, those properties are not tried and true. And those movies, a lot of them are not people's favorites. It was Iron Man One and Two that brought everything together, including the cameo from this film that we're talking about today, um, that sewed all the you know. All the fabric together and made this beautiful quote that we know that is the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, but it, when when Feige's out there talking like that, it can't help me think. But Ed Ed has the big head, big head Norton is what I call him. But um, and so that that's my beef with that. I personally personally believe that there is close to no chemistry between Betty and Bruce. And I love Liv Tyler. But I think she was a little bit underserved in this film. She's just doing Pearl Harbor, right? Like, she's just... Is she, is she in Pearl Harbor or is that Jennifer Connelly as well? No, no, no. That, uh, no, you're thinking of Armageddon with Ben Affleck. Yes, yes, yes. Armageddon. And she she's no just doing Armageddon. Listen, it's just Liv Tyler. It's not, you can't blame anybody else but Liv Tyler. On. To be honest, my favorite one, my favorite performance of Liv Tyler is The Leftovers. I think she does good as a heel. I think she does good as, oh, a, as a disingenuous person because... She has this weird whispering dialogue kind of thing. I kept watching her and everything that she says is done in this like little, but Bruce, you know, like very airy and like the wind could just take it away. There's no structure. There's no strength in there. And when she isn't whispering and crying in this film, which she does a lot, she's leaving her boyfriend uh, for her ex in a restaurant. Which not cool. That was messed up. She yeah, didn't even up. she didn't even know if it was really him when she first saw him. But she gets up and walks out of the restaurant. <laughs> what would you then say? Oh no no no! I'm sorry. I know you was in the middle of a conversation. I thought it was my ex. And you got up and you left. And it was, no, but the thing is, it wasn't even an ex. It's not like they broke up. He just she woke up from being like beaten up by the Hulk, and then he's gone five years later, and nothing happened. Right. Ugh. So it's like those feelings are still there. Well, that's the thing. Their entire relationship exists in another film. 
the film that we're supposed to be forgetting. And that makes this film's romance feel like it's something that you're supposed to just go with because you know that Betty and Bruce go together. So you just go with it. But aren't we supposed to care about the guy from Modern Family or no? I mean, I, yeah and no, which is, it's kind of, all right, this is my issue. If you were going to write us a, 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 at the time, boyfriend that we weren't going to care about, don't actually give us sympathetic moments with him. Like, they had a whole scene yeah. where Ross comes to his house and, you know, she, he's basically, like, you know, trying to defend her in a sense. And he's like, you know, I, now I can see why she doesn't talk about you much. Like, he's, he's not a bad guy. Yeah. And they show they my... show he looked remorseful when he had to call Ross, you know. But that yeah. was his that was his girl. Like, what do you what is, like, what's going on here? But he's the bad guy. Um, and like, I oh I also found out that um, Liv compared her performance to a deer caught in headlights because of Betty's shock at Bruce's unexpected return. And in my opinion, she never stopped being that shell shocked character constantly surprised no, not at all. by everything going on and it was just a little weird um because she's a cellular biologist bro this is not you know a uh, reporter at the daily bugle or freaking uh you know um actress on broadway she's a cellular biologist i don't think she offers any scientific answers or no no you're right and the one thing that pissed me off about that was when they finally had banner mr blue and betty in the same room doing science stuff it's like she was just there in the background right and it's like i she thought wasn't she saying, was oh no but we've been doing this study for five years bruce you don't understand that there's new formulas there's new methods like that's what i would love to have seen that stuff right i i do and maybe stronger female characters are a symptom of today's times maybe back then it wasn't you know because uh, um pepper isn't you know hugely proactive in iron man one as the series progresses she gets more and more proactive um yeah but also i feel like pepper was was like a she was like a, a red light every time tony was trying to try it okay that was my issue like i i want strong outspoken female characters that are very independent and pepper was that but Pepper was also being the. But don't just the nag them for being. The don't don't just nag them for being them. The yes. Sky, the Skyler White of it all. There's a better way uh, to do this. Listen, I don't want to get into why Skyler White's amazing. Oh, she is. But um, she is. I just like she. I feel like she like. Okay, so you have the scene from the restaurant, right? She walks out. Then she eventually, I guess, drives her boyfriend home, or. She gets driven home and then gets in her own car as soon as he leaves and drives to go find Banner in the rain. Picks him I'm up. I'm assuming she left him in that diner. <laughs> That's even worse. I, I'm assuming she said, yeah, f- take a cab home. I got to go find someone. And after their adventurous night of being attacked by military people, um, she seemingly abandons her job as a cellular biologist, right? He's like, no credit cards, no this, no that. We're going here. We're going there. And she's like, yeah, they yeah. got to get by on $40 in cash. And she's like, yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. He's been living this life for months or maybe even years. But she no, was five years. He was living this life. for. He, he was. She was way too enthusiastic about this, in my opinion. But I didn't write the film. Um, and yeah, I just with that, you know, they have that scene where she just like and I get a lot of it is supposed to be. Beauty and the Beast, Godzilla, King Kong kind of stuff where 
there could be a, a whole war zone. And if she walks up to him, he'll recognize her and all will be well. That's a very dangerous situation to be in. And there's a lot of faith to have in that. And I feel like that faith only is rewarded because it's a film. There's nothing to say that he won't kill her. He's hurt her before. <laughs> He's hurt her. That's the whole reason why all this popped up. Yeah, but up. I feel like he hurt her on accident in that opening exposition. Well, how much power does he have? Because that's another issue too, right? He tells, um, when he talks to Betty, he says he wants it gone. I want it gone. This power. It's uncontrollable. Then he talks to Mr. Blue and he tells Mr. Blue. Thank you. He tells Mr. Blue, I want it gone. I want it gone. Because this power is too great and uncontrollable. So he tells Betty he wants it gone because he can't control it. He tells Mr. Blue he wants it gone because he can't control it. And then when he needs to control it, he just controls it. Oh, see, that that was that's the inconsistency that pissed me off because I can I can excuse in the before we get the actual movie, like the opening exposition, I can I can excuse him not being able to control it. That's first time he gets banned. But we're talking about five years that this man has been doing yoga and shit. But that also makes sense that he would. But maybe in those five years, he didn't transform all that much. No, it doesn't. He hasn't transformed in five years. Oh, so yeah, I I totally, I totally get that. But I, I guess where I get confused is the control aspect of it. If you're able to cut something systematically in half and then use those two halves as brass knuckles, that seems to be a method of control or level of control. I think that any animal that could use a tool shows a level of control, right? Yeah. They're not, they're not just hitting the coconut over over a rock. They've built something to crack it open. That's a little bit of control. Through the fight with Abomination, he shows control we haven't seen, even with the fight against the military. He's showing smarts, all, all this well, other kind why, of stuff. Right, so what is the, what is he show that control? Why? Look at the, the fight, him in Brazil, versus him at the university. Betty was there. Yeah, but the, he... he, he but his, he, his women is a control for him. In... In the fight in Brazil, in the bottling plant, he's able he's able to understand how to get people away and how to escape. That doesn't see that doesn't seem to me like a lack of control. Well, maybe it's not fully. Right. It, what what is he afraid of? I guess and what, like what is he? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, what is he think he's gonna do at his worst? Because he seems to choose to do the worst at his worst when he's in control of the Hulk. Like, okay, you remember. Age of Ultron, Evil Hulk. Yes. That felt like uncontrollable. That inf- that felt like a brain dead Hulk, an animal who just punches. He didn't he didn't like disassemble Tony Stark's suit, you know? And he was tricked by simple things because he's an animal in that moment. There's only base reptilian instinct. There's no brain scientist in there. And that's a scary Hulk to have. But apparently he feared that version of himself, even though that version of himself never existed, because the several times when he transforms in here, he's fine. Well, I, I'm not really too, too um, like, kept up on the comics of it, but I, is it that, he, that Banner, Hulk is a different person than Banner? It's not Banner all of a sudden turning into the Hulk, and it's still Bruce Banner's emotions and feelings and, like, sense of direction this is a completely different entity but that entity still shares the brain power of banner it usually so is portrayed it's an animal with intelligence yeah usually it's portrayed Not that control, the hulk but intelligence but usually it's portrayed that the hulk is the base emotions of banner writ large in most common or modern interpretations of banner's history he was an abused child 
So there's a lot of pent up. He was an abused child. He was a uh, uh, somebody in high school that was bullied. I mean, you see the guy's frame, you know, probably wasn't defending himself a lot. He has enough pent up anger in his life. I think his father killed his mother. I think they say that in in Hulk one. They did it in Angley Hulk. Yeah. His father killed Chris his mother. So you, killed the mother yeah. so you understand what I'm saying? Like he has enough strife in his life to 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 uh emass. Like imagine if you put all the stress and anger he's ever had, it would be a big hulking figure. <laughs> it would just be this big monster, you know? And I've always rec- you know, reconciled it in my head that when he turns into the Hulk, he's surrendering to the very base instincts of his mind. Yeah, but then you got to look at the Hulk about... that's in Ragnarok. Is that Banner as Hulk or is that Hulk as Hulk? That's that's the, that's the most that's the most Banner Hulk we're gonna get, I guess. Is what? No, well, I guess not because of the, you get Professor Hulk. But yeah, Banner receded in Thor Ragnarok to allow the Hulk to do whatever he wanted. Yeah, because you remember when he woke up as Banner. He was he didn't know that he was gone for three years on another planet. Yeah. He was asleep for, for like three years. As this is what he was saying. Which is the it same thing. Like but it's the same forever. thing like it's the same thing like like drugs or alcohol, right? Like you could do you can be on those things and do things that A you normally don't do and B that you don't remember, but it doesn't stop it from being you that did it. Or the base parts of you that wanted to do it. You there may have been other things in the mix, but that's you. <laughs> that's you know. It's totally you. And that's why ban- uh, the Edward Norton banner, when Betty asked him, how does it feel to be Hulk? And he's like, it's like it's like a, a drug trip. Yeah. It's like, a, it's like pouring a acid nightmare. on my brain, I think he said. Yeah, he's like, it's like someone, if someone poured pure acid on my brain, it's yeah. just a complete nightmare-fueled drug trip. And again, you know, and I said I'd get to this, but I think that the main issue is that the entire movie, Bruce is trying desperately to avoid the only thing that us as audience members came to see. The Hulk, the Incredible Hulk, and but whose fault is that? I think that's our fault as fans for going into a Hulk movie and wanting to see just two hours of a green giant destroy the world. That's not fun. Where's the complexity? Where's the character development? Where's the consequences? But the thing is, if most the movie people started with just Hulk and ended with just Hulk. What do we have? Oh, I, I I agree. You definitely need a duality in there, but I don't think there's enough emotional attachment to the Bruce Banner character, you know, in the world. <laughs> another problem: the only live other live action Bruce Banner that we got beforehand was in two thousand and three. So and he fought five dogs. He was... fought dogs, and he fought a smoke, a big smoke monster. Uh, uh, well, he was the Absorbing Man, right? Who I think Chris Christopherson was Chris Christopherson. Oh, he ended up becoming the... that. I don't. He doesn't yeah, he normally the, he become that. He was the Absorbing that, but... Man because. There was a there was a scene where he turned into all electricity. There's a scene where they're fighting underwater, and he's like this big bubble monster. Ah, he's smoke. Yeah, 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 he yeah, was the yeah, absorbing yeah. man. That makes yeah. sense, huh? Hmm. Um. Yeah. He, uh, they, they there's there's so much scattered pieces of the Bruce Banner Hulk mythology that make it interesting, and that's what sucks when you when you try to make it your own. You can only pick and choose, um, and then you get this hodgepodge. I feel like this makes. The whole thing about like Banner and not wanting him to turn into the Hulk is that it ends up making every Hulk film like a Godzilla film in the sense that you spend the better part of an hour only getting glimpses of this monster and then he's eventually shown. And that's a lot of runtime spent about talking about science and dealing with helicopters. You know, that's or you can do what they did in Peter Jackson's King Kong and just get three hours of a giant ape doing giant ape things. 
Oh, is that is it that good? I, don't know, I haven't seen it. Is no, it's boring. It, I'm I'm gonna be straight up honest with you. The the Peter Jackson King Kong is boring. Hmm. It's think of think of the Hulk, but no Bruce Banner, and even worse chemistry with Naomi Watts, who should be a better actress than Liv Tyler. Like you you if you take it where you get the there, there's always a spectrum. You can either be Peter Jackson's King Kong or you can be um, Gareth Edwards' Godzilla 2014. And somewhere in the middle, you're still going to have the Incredible Hulk from the MCU. Yeah. You need I mean, that did you balance. see that? Did you see that shooting, though? Like when Abomination was running wild, how they would like shoot him running across? Like there was a lot of like yeah. glimpses, especially in that bottling scene. I don't think you get a full good look at Hulk in that entire scene. This is a lot of like. In that one, no, that was like the first time that you don't really, you don't see Hulk fully until the fight in the university where he like busts through that like uh, archway. Yeah. That's the first time you see him and it's like 30 minutes in, 45 minutes in. And like I said, it's a small ass Hulk. Yeah. That dude was like six (laughs) feet Hulk. Hulk should be like 10 feet. I just know that, like I said, when he needs to find control, he finds control. And um, I'm going to get a lot of slack for this. But I think that the Abomination fight had less to offer than I remembered. Uh, you're, 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 now, now you're just grasping at straws just to try and make this movie worse. That fight was my awesome. ma- First of all, Abomination was whooping his ass. Abomination, who literally just got this power doesn't know what the hell is going on he's smacking people all right but in the okay street. no take this take the powers of hulk and throw them into an actual armed special forces marine type military man but do we have control or do a- we not have control then you know, we, we're playing we're playing a dangerous game here dan does he have control realistically he shouldn't <laughs> have control because banner did work on his control right so who has who has control but here this, who can but- fight here you're right uh, Blonsky should have more hand-to-hand skills. So I guess as a bigger man, he should just do bigger man hand-to-hand skills. But Banner had him. And Banner doesn't have to be in, in control and control because this is the one instance in which being unleashed would probably help. And But it's just weird. It just set this situation up. But no this reason. is also... But what, if this, what if this is a Banner that, that, that knew he didn't... What if this is a Hulk that knew he didn't want people, innocent people hurt? What if he was fighting in a way that was trying to get innocent people away? I mean, he like, almost he, he almost strangled the... Blonsky. Like he almost cut his head off with a, with a chain, you know. If it wasn't Hulk for Betty. Smash! Yeah, man, I love that. He scene. did that. He that. does that, and that's how Blonsky gets his foot caught. Once Blonsky gets his foot caught, the chains wrap around his own neck. You understand what I'm saying? Like that wasn't yeah, banner. Like, that it. wasn't banner. <laughs> like if anything, it's like if if somebody came up to you with a gun, tripped, then the gun fell into the air and shot a single bullet back down into the person who, who dropped the gun. Well, I mean, you have, <laughs> and then you go Tarzan, and then right? and then you go. God, I just beat. I just beat him. I just. I just did it. <laughs> it's like no, you didn't. That was not what happened. Abomination was whooping that ass, and then uh, he tripped, and then he got choked out, and then Betty. Just goes up to Hulk when he should have just backhanded her into the helicopter again. She's indestructible. What's going on with her? Helicopter, yeah, I helicopter. She was dead in that opening exposition. And helicopter fucking crash. Like everyone's dead on the yeah. helicopter, but her and Ross. All the fucking That's military plot people are just, plot armor right are just there. killed. Even when he does the fucking the the thunderclap. I get that it stopped the fire. Her ears should be bleeding. What is going on here? Should oh no! Straight up, she should have been dead. At the university, 
when the <laughs> fire happens and Hulk just goes around her and like shields her from the fire. Yeah. In my head, I'm like, oh, it should just been a black skeleton, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, like that's not how Betty. fire works. Oh no, Betty. Um. <laughs> so. I didn't really dig the music. I know this music is a big part of this film. I know people. Oh really, no, this, really like this music, music was a, was like annoyingly arrogant for some. I don't know why. I just felt like the score of this movie was arrogant. It should have been a bit As more it, tragic, right? The music should. Yeah, we should, weren't getting enough of the Lonely Man score. I really like that Lonely Man score. Um, I feel like it should have been a little bit more tragic, and we already spoke about it not having enough confidence in the universe, and you know, to make the big changes. But I. I will just end with saying it also just so happens to be the lowest grossing MCU film. Is it the lowest grossing MCU film? It is. It is. Damn. Still to this day, lowest grossing. But it might oh that might be lack of God. faith in Paramount or lack of press with Marvel. You know, it could be a bunch of stuff with that, but that's just with the numbers. Well, the numbers maybe people lie. just actually knew Edward Norton is a prick, so let's not support him. <laughs> Uh, I'm done talking about that that maligned movie. Are you the already talking about a good film? I, uh, let's, listen, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, let me just, let me just go ahead, listen. go ahead, go ahead. Do, do I'm do. telling you. All right, the thing of, I can tell you straight up, this movie is sloppy. The plot is all over the place. They don't know what they want to do, and when they know what they want to do, they're not confident enough to do it. So there's a lot of little breadcrumbs to interconnection for the rest of the MCU, but. They're stale breadcrumbs, and it tastes like shit. Yeah. So, but this movie of the two, <laughs> this of the two, this don't movie strain, don't strain too act- hard, don't strain too hard. <laughs> of the two, this movie actually gave us some sort of character development in a sense. I, I'm just gonna say it. This was a di- from the banner from the beginning of the movie was different from the banner at the end of the movie. So the banner in the beginning of the movie uh, doing his best to do yoga to suppress his anger is different than the banner at the end of the movie who's doing yoga to suppress his anger? No, no. See, the banner at the beginning of the movie... Oh, who was running away, and then the banner at the end was one that was running away. Away? No. So wait a minute, wait a minute. The the banner at the beginning of the movie didn't want Hulk. At the end of the day, the banner from the beginning of the movie... Didn't want Hulk. Okay. By the time the movie ended, he has a smirk with one green Why? eye that he can finally control the Hulk. Is that what that is? Get a mark. Yeah. It's, that doesn't seem was, to be like what he that is. accepted the fact that he's always going to be the Hulk and he just has to learn to coexist. If we didn't get a bit this banner giving us the fact that he, at the end of the movie, he wanted to coexist with the Hulk, there would be no Professor Hulk. That's but, my reach. But and I'm re- I'll, I'll, let you, I'll let you have that reach, but we don't even have to go all the way to Professor Hulk. I could beat you at Avengers. If he really felt like he had control over all that stuff, he couldn't be used against the Avengers by Loki. Loki didn't put up a spell on that's him. Still a, that's still a, that's an infinity stone, my friend. No, this, Loki didn't do a spell dead. on him. Loki had no spell on him. He just dropped him from the... Oh, he was going to drop him. He got poked or something, remember? He was fighting. He was on the helicarrier. He didn't get mind controlled or any of that stuff. He just turned he into the hole. He was holding the scepter that had the Mind Stone in it. At the end of the day, there was still going to be some sort of residual, residual side, residual side effects. effects. He should have tried a bit better because in the, in the entirety of the Avengers, if you don't want to go off of that scene, we can go back. The entirety of the Avengers, he's telling people he doesn't have control over it and you don't want to see it. But then he turns into, he literally tells Cap, that's my secret, Cap, I'm always angry. And right. just turns into the Hulk on snap command. But, but, 
in that so instance. So what's more inconsistent? Well, that's the thing. I think that he can do that. I think that on a because he's always angry, because he always feels that bubblingness, that this could always overfill. The the pot of water could always overfill. He knows that. Whether or not he has control over that is the question. I think, in my opinion, that he has no control over it. And he can only unleash it in a hellscape that is the Battle of New York because everything's already fucked. He's just, this is, matter of fact, I can even, even expound upon that with, with proof. He injures people in the Battle of New York. The Hulk does. In most cases, when he's trying to save people, he doesn't injure these people. But we've shown, we're shown footage in Civil War of him <laughs> jumping on buildings and throwing rocks and all kinds of shit. And, it, and debris falling on cameramen. Right, yeah. exactly. And so he unleashed the unstoppable because there was literally nothing else to do. There was literally nothing. Like, what could he hurt? What could he do by mistake? That's just an inconsistency in this studio that they... They they make great efforts to tell us he control he can control the Hulk, but then they go back on it by showing that he can't control the Hulk. But then they say he can control the Hulk, but he can't. It, but only a little bit. But only a bit. And uh, yeah, they they do keep going back on it, and I, it doesn't it doesn't help him Hulk out. Problem. But by saying by saying that his biggest issue is already solved at the end of Incredible Hulk, it you cut the story in half for anybody else trying to continue it. Because you open and shut case, we solved it in my movie. His biggest issue is done. He can he can turn on the Hulk on a whim. He's fine. There's no issue. So in Hulk, I mean in Avengers, he should just be another soldier, like a werewolf that knows when he transforms, does his deed, and I mean, he transforms. You're looking at back. a banner that yelled at at Black Widow and didn't turn. His skin didn't even go green. He just was. He just screamed, "Stop lying to me!" And then that was it. He was fine. Right. Went right back to being calm, cool, and collective. So this is an inconsistency throughout have not having the full rights of Hulk because of Paramore. Paramount. Yeah. yeah. And Paramount. Let's blame Paramore, too. But, well, let's uh, <laughs> not blame Paramore. Let's not do that. But, uh, you know, maybe, maybe if Ruffalo would have been in this film, maybe that would have just been the connective tissue. But I just feel like they try oh, to telegraph because... they try to telegraph the live stuff. And, Bruce, I don't think it worked. I think that they should have given uh, Ross a little bit more agency. And I think that we have to find a way. And I that's another thing. You know, I, I talk a big game, but I don't have... The solution. I don't know how you make a compelling Hulk film. I think ultimately Hulk films are flawed, and I explained why. And I would love somebody who is more creative than I to to crack that nut. You know, um, we thought for years that you needed a Spider-Man film with the death of Uncle Ben, and then we get Homecoming, and there's not even a, a flashback scene. So we don't know. There's not even a mention of an Uncle Ben. Yeah. So we don't know how things can go until somebody has the balls to do them. And, uh, Maybe Matt Reeves. But did they? Did Matt Reeves confirm if Batman's parents are gonna die in this new movie? <laughs> Be an odd Jesus thing for him Christ. to confirm. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's, it's clear as day it's gonna happen. Boy, oh. But boy. I, I have one more question for you. One last question, then we're gonna jump on to some dark world. What you got, brother? Of of all, because we've done six of these now, so that means you've had six. You've watched six maligned, terrible comic book movies in a sense. Okay. Is this the the most funnest, the most boring one you've watched so far? This is definitely the. Where would you rank this it? This is definitely more fun, and I think it is because it exists in the world that I know. I think what would have made it a, over the top fun is it, overt references. You know, they talk about the Super Soldier Serum, but they never mention Cap. 
and then there's references to Stark Industries and we get Stark at the end, but there's no real connection there. I think a little bit more of that would have would have been the icing on the cake and the Hulk stuff is fun. It's fun it's definitely fun to watch. I wasn't keen for the romantic stuff though. And I don't know if that's just me not being a romantic or that their lack of story. The lack of story or stakes there. No, no, like, no. It was one hundred percent the lack of chemistry and story between Betty and Banner. Oh, and I heard somewhere that that Norton and 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 Tyler would spend weeks talking about Bruce and Liv's history or Bruce and Betty's history. Like he would pull her aside and be like, "Yeah, you know what? I think they were dating about three months, and I think their favorite ice cream is. You know what I'm saying? Like, so so they're trying to get into the, like the method of it all. But with, without giving any of that to us, it doesn't do anything. You could say in your yeah. head, you could say in your head that Betty has split personality unless you show it. <laughs> she could be acting her ass off to show it, but unless it's in the script, we, how the hell are we supposed to know? So it's very weird. As a matter of fact, don't they go through great lengths to not say out loud that Betty and Ross are related to like the end? Because they mentioned, I think they at one cut, point, cut was... at one point early on, they're like, "We need to get the girl," and and Ross is like, "The girl's not; she's no longer." He didn't say my daughter. Or that's my daughter you're talking about. He was like, the the girl is no, no longer that we, an issue. No, but the first time I think we get it was because of Ty Brule. When Ty Brule says, "Now I can see why she doesn't mention you." Oh why yes, yes, yes. But that's halfway in the film, right? That is halfway in the film. So it's like they try You're to bury to the lead. Assume with your fan knowledge that and and, and Betty the, is... and the tutorial in the beginning. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that yeah. We're supposed to figure out that they're and then there's supposed to be the bomb dropped of you. You know, I don't don't ever talk to me like your daughter. It's like oh. No one even says it like that anyway, but it is what it is. Let's get to a, a movie with no faults at all whatsoever. Excuse you. <laughs> all right? There's a lot of faults in whoa, that movie. Whoa, 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 whoa. I love that movie, but there, there was a lot of faults, so let's get into it. First of all, Door of the Dark World was released on November 8th, 2013, seven years ago. It's directed by Alan Taylor, and on a budget of $170 million, $170 million, it made a box office of $644 million. Um, Stephen McFeely or whatever wrote this one. Marcus and McFeely, yeah, the 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 yep. the writing duo behind all three Captain America movies and all the Avenger movies that matter. No wonder why this movie was amazing. Well, that's you know. So the plot goes as follows: Eons ago, Bor, father of Odin, clashes with the dark elf Malekith, who seeks to unleash a weapon known as the Ether on the Nine Realms. After conquering Malekith's forces, including enhanced warriors called the Cursed. On their home world of Svartalheim, Greg is going to get on my case about that. Uh, Boar, <laughs> Boar safeguards the ether within a stone column. Unknown to Boar, Malekith, his lieutenant, uh, Algrim, and a handful of dark elves escaped into suspended animation. In the present day Asgard, Loki stands imprisoned for his war crimes on Earth. Meanwhile, Thor, alongside warriors Fandral, Volstagg, and Sif, repel marauders on Vanaheim, home of their comrade Hogan. It is the final battle in the war to pacify the Nine Realms, following the restructuring of the Bifrost, the Rainbow Bridge, between realms, which had been destroyed two years earlier in the first film. The Asgardians soon learn that the convergence, a rare alignment of the Nine Realms, is imminent. As the event approaches, portals linking the worlds appear at random. In London, astrophysicist Jane Foster and her intern Darcy Lewis travel to an abandoned factory 
where such portals have appeared, disrupting the laws of physics around them. Separating from the group, Foster is, or se- yeah, separating from the group, Foster is teleported into another world, where she absorbs the ether. Hemdal alerts Thor that Foster that Foster has moved beyond his near all-seeing vision, leading Thor to Earth. When Thor, sorry, when Thor finds Foster, she inadvertently releases an unearthly force, and Thor returns with her to Asgard. Odin, recognizing the ether, warns that the ether will not only kill Foster, but that its return heralds a catastrophic, a catastrophic prophecy. Malekith, awakened by the ether's release, turns Algrim into a cursed, or and a character named Cursed, um, uh, and attacks Asgard. During the battle, Malekith and Algrim search for Foster, sensing that she contains the ether. Thor's mother, Frigga, is killed protecting Foster, and Malekith and Algrim are forced to flee without Foster. Despite Odin's orders not to leave Asgard, Thor reluctantly enlists the help of his brother Loki, who knows of a secret portal to Svartalheim, where he they will use Foster to lure and confront Malekith away from Asgard. In return, Thor promises Loki vengeance on Malekith for killing their mother. With Volstagg and Stiff stalling Asgardian soldiers and Fandral assisting their escape, Thor, Loki, and Foster head to Svartalheim. There, Loki tricks Malekith into drawing the ether out of Foster, but Thor's attempt to destroy the exposed substance fails. Malekith merges with the ether and leaves in his ship as Loki is fatally wounded while killing Algrim. Thor, cradling Loki in his arms, promises to tell their father of his sacrifice. Afterwards, Thor and Foster discover another portal in a nearby cave and reunite in London with Lewis and Foster's mentor, Dr. Eric Selvig. Uh, who was briefly institutionalized due to the mental trauma he suffered during Loki's attack on Earth. They learned that Malekith's plans to restore the Dark Elves to dominance by unleashing the Aether at the center... Oh, sorry. They learned of Malekith's plans to restore the Dark Elves to dominance by unleashing the Aether at the center of the Convergence in Greenwich. Oh, Greenwich? Greenwich? It is Greenwich, right? <laughs> Dord battles Malekith through various portals and across multiple worlds until one portal separates them, leaving Malekith unopposed on Earth. Thor returns in time to help his mortal comrades use their scientific equipment to transport Malekith to Svartalheim, where he is crushed by his own damaged ship. Thor returns to Asgard, where he declines Odin's offer to take the throne and tells Odin of Loki's sacrifice. As he leaves, Odin's form transforms into Loki, who is alive and impersonating Odin. In a mid-credit scene, Volstagg and Stiff visit the Collector and entrust the Aether to his care, commenting that why the Tesseract... What? Oh yeah, commenting that while the Tesseract is already in Asgard, having two Infinity Stones so close together would be unwise. As they leave, the Collector states his desire to acquire the other five stones. And in a post credit scene, Foster and Thor reunite on Earth while somewhere in London, a frost monster accidentally transported to Earth during the final battle continues to run amok. Boom. Now, this movie... Well, first of all, great. that was the shortest synopsis you've ever read, so that's definitely not going to help your case. Oh, it's definitely going to help my case, because this, the, all, all, the, all the info I need is in my heart. You know all what I'm saying? Everything, everything I need is in my heart. Because this is a film that actually had the balls to showcase Asgard, to flesh out the Asgardian lore and Asgard itself. You got costumes and weaponry and armor, and it's all amazing, from Svartalheim to Vanaheim and Asgard itself. All... 
all manner of soldier, all manner of, of, of common person is thought about their costumes. Their whole set of Asgard is gorgeous. Uh, it's amazing. And we see a few of the realms setting up for the convergence in the third act. So that sets up the whole thing. Uh, yeah, but you know what? Let's say someone gives you a cake. Someone brings you a cake. You really party. like these this cake the metaphors. <laughs> there's, this is the most delicious looking emphasis the most delicious looking cake you've ever had it has it has the writing happy birthday george has the icing and some little uh coconut shavings it looks delicious and then when you cut into the cake and take a bite it's undercooked the dough is still right the the dough is still running it tastes disgusting there's not enough flavor that's what happens when you have a gorgeous looking movie with nothing happening no memorable scenes. No discerning. Villain. No memorable scene. That is slander, sir. That is absolute slander. I would put Frigga's death up against almost anything in the MCU as far as emotional stakes are concerned. I would put a Frigga's death and Frigga's funeral as one of the probably top 15 moments in Marvel Cinematic History. Uh, yeah, but you see how you said top 15? This, of this franchise that's we're talking about. But we're talking about. I got I to gotta put that up there with. You and you're getting picked up by Cap. You know what I'm saying? This, this is a lot of a lot of big moments. But you're gonna put a death of what was that? Zachary Levi's character? No, Frigg is the up mother. Against... Oh yeah. Oh, for... oh the oh the mother. They... Okay. Come on, come on, come so on. Quick. All of so that. Quick. No, but it it's all so gold. There was no real emotion. It's all gold. Any emotions was Loki. Where was Thor's emotion? You didn't see I Thor's emotions? Thor. I can show you Thor's Not emotions. Not enough of it. Thor. Not enough of it. Thor. This without 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 thinking strikes lightning into the face of Malekith. That's the first thing he does. Once he sees the blade get put into his mother, the first thing he does is command lightning and shoot it directly into Malekith's face. You did get screaming to the sides because he screamed as he threw his hammer into the shoulder of the accursed as they fell off. And then, as hard as he freaking can, he turns around and throws his hammer as hard as he can to attack the ship, and the ship just disappears. It's so heartbreaking. Those hammer throws are some of the best I've ever seen in this uh, series, in, in Thor history in general, besides that whole hammer throw he did to get to the throne. Remember? And he just throws it and he kind of like just uh, <laughs> spins. He just lays down and spins and, and flies away. Amazing. Yeah, but I will tell you that the hammer throw that was happened here with the Korgs was done better in Infinity War with with the, whatever those people were. The, the, the Chitauri? Chitauri. But what about? That's what I wanted. I wanted a long, nice one-shot scene of this uh, of this hammer going through the entire army, and we only got a couple of seconds of it. It goes far, then comes back, and it's Thor on the by far. Well, there the was sho- this was shown to be a, a way like a, a way smaller threat or a way smaller situation. We're talking about basically Asgard is like the 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 mayors of it all, right? They have to go around and make sure that everybody else is, is keeping in line. So this wasn't like a war to settle the score, more so than this was a slap of the wrist. Like, what are you guys doing? I need to, I need to relax. I need to calm down. And that's, as the king of the all the realms, you have to have a, a touch like that. You shouldn't be going and massacring all the, all the villagers. But you're not king! Almost. <laughs> he's almost. He's, he's literally the ambassador because Odin's not going, going Anthony, Anthony realm to realm. Anthony Hopkins just owns this. Honestly. Well, everybody's great. First of all, we got to talk about Chris Helmsworth, who's basically an unknown before this. You know, he wasn't Ed Norton. Oh, 100%. He wasn't in a bunch of films that, you know, put, uh, you know, that set the world on fire. He was in like a, a sitcom in Australia. 
you know, and and he wasn't great in the first Thor. He did what he needed to do, hundred percent. But this is him feeling feeling that Thor and having the freedom to feel that Thor, to the point that he gets to be humorous. Little things that we see in in Ragnarok, um, and we we dealt with the whole film of him not being worthy. You know, like they could have done that again in this film, which would have been the banner not knowing how to control it all. And we just have to, oh, he's not worthy. Oh, he's not worthy. Oh, he's not worthy. Third act. Oh, he's worthy. But they didn't do that. He had the hammer the whole time. But sometimes. No, because this is a second. This is the thing. This is a second film. This is a sequel. Yeah. So all of that unworthy worthiness. We dealt with that in the first door. And that's. So of course when, we're not going to deal with that in the first Hulk. But that's what I'm saying. When that situation gets dealt with in Thor 1, we then not have to deal with it here. But that situation did not get dealt with in, in Incredible Hulk. Or if it did, it caused more issues down the line because we're still dealing with a Hulk that no one can control. What, what would you do if you misplaced two nukes? What do you think they'd do to me? Remember that whole conversation? Like, that's that's Does that become less legit or less factual? It's the truth, B. Yeah, but you know what? You know, on, on with that one, I don't. I think it's disrespectful calling Thor a nuke. <laughs> it is, but he doesn't understand them. So more so than anybody, he's just an alien. That's why I like that in this film, um, some of the technology used by the Asgardians, Jane can recognize because in my film, the female lead is smart and she remembers what her job is and she does oh, what she can on. and she does what she can. To use her intelligence to help the hero, as opposed to crying in every vehicle that you're in, and playing yeah, footsies, you're at and playing footsies two feet away, side. playing footsies two feet away from your murderous general father in a helicopter. It's madness, bro. And who, who in your film, who in your film reaches the heights of Tom Hiddleston? Who? I, I dare you. Uh, I dare you to William pick somebody. Hurt. Oh my William god! Hurt. Well, I will straight. I will straight. Up say- doesn't matter what his dialogue was. Doesn't matter what how bad the movie was. William Hurt was eating every scene he was in. Sure, he might have been a, a stupid military man, and that's how they decided to write him because, you know, they hate soldiers. Who cares? He was eating every piece of dialogue he could. He was emotional when he had to be. He was restrained when he had to be. He was when dumb was he when emotional? he to look them. Every single time that man was yelling was that's not a mo- oh that <laughs> listen <laughs> listen okay if, if we can that, go to that scene go to that scene go ahead no go ahead. what i'm saying is when when it comes to directing when it comes to writing it doesn't say yell for emotion that's not that's not the the be all end all for an emotional scene is somebody yelling there's a part where they're like the hulk is Sir, we see the Hulk. And he's like, that's impossible. You couldn't have seen the Hulk. Stop being an idiot. And they're like, no, 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 it's the Hulk. And they're like, oh, my God. And they put two and two together that it's Blonsky. What does General Ross do? He just puts his head down. He just he just puts his head down. Because he <laughs> failed. Because he saw his but failure. What else done, can you do when you but fail? He's but done nothing, he's done nothing in this film but fail. They, but he, did nothing right. the, he did nothing he right. He did nothing right. He can't take this omnipresent type. Look at it. You have to look at it from his perspective. In his perspective, he's not failing. This man is just happening to be one-upping him. But he's not truly failing. This is, the, I mean, yeah, he's a flawed character, but who in all amongst us isn't flawed? Oh, I or get that. currently flawed. No, I definitely get that. I'm just saying take responsibility for your actions, general. And that's the most human thing in the world is not taking responsibility for your actions. I don't think you get far in the military without taking responsibility for your actions. Oh, no, I'm, I wouldn't assume on that you actually did your two tours so but loki 
kills it from beginning to end. From the first moment you see him and he's yeah. yelling at and he's yelling yeah. at Odin yeah. that he doesn't give a damn. And he's like, You're gonna give me the same speech? Can you just not? Can you just throw me in prison? All of that is yeah. absolutely amazing. Um his reaction to Frigga's death is amazing. I, that's I, that's probably one of the best scenes in Marvel history in comic book movie in movie history. Yeah. That was amazing to me. Yeah. Just that one look where the guy behind the glass looks at him and he has this sad face and he stands up and it's cut to his back and he just throws a chair with his power. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh, is that the one of and, the most great scenes ever? And then even when Thor goes to enlist his help later and he's there bloodied because he's broken glass and his foot's cut. His, yeah, his feet <laughs> is cut up. His you know, hair there's, is like there's a bunch of, of like marks on the wall as if he's punched or kicked or done some sort of thing his shirt is like all like stretched out as if he's been like trying to rip his clothes off out of anger like if the clothes are suffocating him and he's just like you must be truly desperate if you come to me for help like this is a man give it all this is a man who is sitting on the floor with an arrow in his face as the entire avengers put him into prison and he did all that with a smile on his face his mother goes and his whole world disappears she's the only person person. yeah Yeah. she's the only person who treated him throughout and out like a hundred percent of her child odin Mm -hmm. was the dick that constantly reminded him that no you're not my kid like you're not my kid. but see this has been my problem with loki even before thor and dark worlds this was my problem in hulk versus thor in any of the lords this dude is trying his absolute goddamn hardest to be your brother why on God's green earth can you just not give him a bone? Just this is bone. this is Thor to Loki or Loki to Thor? Loki to Thor. Why can't you give Thor a bone? Because Thor represents a a pedestal that he could never get to. He's Even, the king of the Jotunheim. He, he may not be the king of the Asgard and the Nine Realms, but he owns the Jotunheim. But that's like that's like being the being the mayor of Jacksonville versus being the mayor. <laughs> of new york city you know there's just a difference there's a difference in scope and imagine being the mayor of jacksonville if you were raised but imagine being the mayor of jacksonville when you lived your entire life in new york city he and then the new New yorkers don't see you as a new Yorker. yeah he was raised as an asgardian like he he and it's actually odin's fault he's that's why i always laugh when i watch Thor one because odin's a dick and he's kind of a dick in all in all media oh north mythology is uh, very large, and I think even in Greek mythology, like Zeus is kind of a dick. Like they just get to this oh, level oh, of cockiness. That... I would straight up say Zeus is a rapist in Greek mythology. He has like a like, bunch of children that are earth. not; they don't have the same fathers and stuff. He 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 definitely sows his seed. He definitely sows his seed. Um, I feel like yeah, yeah. So like all of that, the the death, the fake death of Loki. Is is poignant. The I'm tired. No, 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 I'm tired of his goddamn fake death. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of this it. This is I'm this was the it. this was the first time he used holograph technology to fake his death. You may be tired and of it in it. hindsight, the same way I'm tired of the whole person in the alley being safe thing, but realize that it happened here first before no, that, it got. See that that's why I have to look jerk. at it. like I have to look at this as. Where its placement is in MCU, not chronologically, but theatrical release-wise. Yeah. If we were to look at theatrical release-wise, 
this was the first Thor after Avengers. I think this was one of the first films after the first Avengers. I think it is the first film after Avengers. It is the first film after the first Avengers. So yeah, this is at that point in 2013, the first time we see Loki fake his death. Yes. But it at this point in 2020, knowing Loki's the trickster, having to go back, it's like, wow, they were really doing it all the way back since then. Yeah. It's but, a but then, if you do, damned if you don't for me. But the thing is, you know, I know we're not supposed to be including other films in this, but that's why when you get to three, Thor knows he's going to get tricked. You know, like, that's the that's the benefit of that, is that you end up you end up getting to the, like, right. fool me once, fool me twice, fool me three times, you know? Um, no, but that's the beauty of both of our films, is as maligned as they are, both these films did an amazing job setting up a future. We have to, like... They are foundations, the yeah. Fact that that they did have a foundation for it. I, I also think it goes without saying that this may be probably the perfect balance for Thor. I don't think I'm make, make getting anyone upset about mm-hmm. that. There are fans of You're Thor right. 1 that didn't like Thor 3 because they thought it was too jokey. And there was fans of Thor 3 that barely liked the first two because they felt it was too Shakespearean and kind of dry. This is, seems to be the, the perfect balance of both of those two. Um I just think that the main thing about this, the main thing that makes this weak is the characterization of Malekith. If you go back into our uh, lexicon over 120 episodes, we covered War of the Realms in which Malekith is the person to bring, connect all the realms in, in fighting Earth. You know, like that's a big You guys covered thing. War of the Realms back in January too. Yeah, yeah. And like that's this how... Was a, this was the this year one. Yeah, and that's how I found... That's how I was like, wow, this is Malekith. Like Malekith is lit. <laughs> I was, I was. Dude, you have to watch Earth's Mightiest Heroes, Avengers, Earth's Mightiest Heroes. Malekith in season two is completely lit. Yeah, does Ultron he have the long hair? That show, Malekith. Yeah, he this. I didn't like the little hair. braid, the braid thing that they did here. Oh uh, uh, no, they. I think they gave him the braid in the cartoon. Oh, he might have the braid in the cartoon too. I'll double check. But in the cartoon, half of his face was black. Yeah, same thing. In, same thing in this the comics. Is, this is my this problem one. with 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 Thor. With this Thor, it's like his his face is black because Thor lights his face with lightning after the after his mother's death. Yeah. In comic books, it's like he's born with that. That's yeah. He's just the accursed. His distinction. Yes, he is. He is Malekith the accursed. Um, but he wasn't Malekith the accursed in this. He was just Malekith the dark elf here. And this wasn't Malekith for me. When you talk about villains, especially Marvel villains, like I I, I instantly think of like the Lokis, the Wilson Fisks of the world, and. The, and even Thanos and one thing that sets them apart from everybody else is their dialogue people mean yes. these guys to death because they are charismatic in their way that they give their speeches without the ability to do that you really handcuff Christopher Eccleston as Malekith who's already a phenomenal actor if you've seen the left not you but if you guys have seen the leftovers or Doctor you Who know. he's a Doctor Who or he's a Doctor yes he's one of the Doctor yeah so it's like you guys know he can do it. Yeah. So the idea that they would put all this prosthetic on him and then make him talk some weird elfish language felt weird. And I get that with the with the nine realms, what are the odds everyone's gonna understand each other? But then shouldn't Thor be speaking as Guardian as opposed to Old English? You know, like we we can go back on all that kind of stuff. I or really at think... least I don't know about where, where did you watch Dark Worlds? Because I watched it on Disney Plus. I watched it on Disney Plus as well. Did you get so I had it on I had my captions on. Did they give subtitles for Malekith's dialogue or was it just nothing? No, they gave subtitles. Yeah, they gave subtitles. I don't subtitles. remember seeing any subtitles. He only he speaks like, English. He, was, he speaks English when he gets to the Asgard uh throne room or whatever. Where he's no, like No, when they first introduce him he's like Right, right. Anytime he's with his people he's talking his language. 
when he's talking about coming Elvis. back and yeah, Elvis talking about coming back and no, it, all that stuff. This is also my problem. You, Elvis is already in a legit literary wise. Elvish is an established dialogue as as a snappish language as much as um, Trekkie for Spock. Or but whatever, I, uh, for I, Spock. I would say that he's speaking dark Elvish. <laughs> he's going to have to because J, um, yeah. not George R. R. Martin, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, yeah. writers of the Lord of the Rings books, he legit invented the language Elfish that was taught in classes just like Trekkie was taught. Like but, this is an established but the issue is, I think, language you could have used. But the thing is, I think that Norse mythology predates his birth. True. Norse so, so, <laughs> so it's like it's like one of those things where like, and the thing is, neither one they didn't go so far as to say this in the film, but the elves are not just elves. There's light elves and there's dark elves. There's a world full of light elves and there's a world full of dark elves. And Malekith is supposed to be the leader of the the he's supposed to be the Odin to Asgard as um he is to his people. But that's another thing. The film starts off with him massacring all his people or sacrificing quote unquote his people. It would have been really cool to see him amass his army and give that that speech of like, you know, uh because one of his guys says something pretty cool, which is like the rebirth of our civilization will be your greatest honor or something like that, or your greatest feat. That is a big feat. You know, like that's, that's a big reason to want to fight is to say, I'm going to bring my people back. The, the Zod of it all, right? But no, um, 100%. It's the Zod of it all. It's the, I'm, 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 uh, the thing is, they didn't make him a, a re- not a relatable villain, but like a villain that you can em- empathize, empathize with. Right. He's just an like, like evil villain. Which is cool. That's cool Zod. too, I guess. Like the fact that he's just evil. I mean, I guess that's okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> I guess it's that nuanced way with 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 them the way that they write villains in 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 movie, movies in general. They've been a lot of ways writing villains to be like they're not truly villains. It's just a matter of perspective. There's a gray area of what they're doing. Gus in Breaking Bad was after vengeance, not killing people just to kill. You know, like yeah, you know. Um, I guess an interesting another interesting point of view would have been if like only a certain amount of people were killed. And in, 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 in a true warlord fashion, you leave the rest to tell the story. And uh, Malekith yeah. is one of the kids, you know? And oh, but then they would give, his... that, would be the, that would be the Gamora origin of it all. But Gamora never turned on Thanos. Thanos was able to, like, put her in his camp and shit. Did you just say Gamora never turned on Thanos? What I mean, As like... she wasn't plotting to kill that man. <laughs> she was, she was, but I guess you spend a long time. If you've been plotting that... that if you've been plotting for that long, you've been spent. You spent a long time without doing anything, <laughs> like a long time. Like I don't know, is she thirty in, the, in those films? She's old. Yeah, but like, because by the time we get to Guardians of the Galaxy, she's already new in her head, and it was already established with her in in um, what's her name? Um, oh God, why am I free? Nebula? Oh. That she's gonna turn on him. Yeah, but I felt like that was that was um, retconning. Because we get that information in literally the last film of this entire cinematic universe, or oh yeah, the, one of the last when they were doing all that red. Wow, yeah, was that that could that could have been red comic. And it, and Endgame was written by Marcus and McFeely, so <laughs> so I totally get it. I I get I get the connective tissue. I totally do. But I think that and maybe 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 my film is a bit the one I'm proposing is a bit problematic. But I think it would have been really cool in in Thor three. They explore this uh, plot of the the Asgardian throne being built on blood, 
and that everything is gorgeous now and golden and pristine, but realize that took a lot of murder and that took a lot of tyranny and dictatorship but, to get but there. Didn't, but weren't they setting that up for two movies, though? I don't know. I don't know because Hella. Remember when they Hella found wasn't Loki even in the first one? Yeah, huh? when they found Loki in the first one, uh, Odin was basically annihilating the, the Frost Giants. Yeah, yeah. There was no bow to me and surrender and we'll keep the peace. He was legit wiping out an entire race. That's genocide. But they were That's trying to. Weren't they trying genocide. to invade? Wasn't that a whole war thing? Because he ends up it, it Loki ends war. up opening the doors again. Years. Loki ends up opening the war, the do- the walls again or whatever the hell doors again and getting the the frost giants into Asgard, which is what causes the whole you're not worthy scene. Because then Thor goes to Jotunheim to. Oh, but that was Loki's trickster skulls. stuff for Thor. No, that was Loki getting Thor drunk. Like, hey, maybe we should fight the frost giant. Maybe Father doesn't know what he's talking about. He was. That was the whole Loki right. trickster. And thing. what what does that what does the arrogance of the son of of the king look like? To the smallest member of the Dark Elves, you know that you can yeah. grind, you can grind an axe to that. Hell yeah, you know. But to each his own. I think what really makes this film is the family dynamic. I didn't care too much about the mom in the first film, but she killed it in this. Um, Odin, man, uh, this is, um, every one of Odin's lines is amazing. She, all right, but this she is belongs Anthony as Hopkins. much as this is Sir Anthony Hopkins. But she, he goes. Um, she belongs as much as as and, and, and Asgard as a goat does at a banquet table. <laughs> she goes, yeah. Did he just call me? Did he just call me? Yeah, I was like, who and who do you and who do you think you are? My name is Odin. I'm the All Father and the ruler of the Nine Realms, <laughs> King of Asgard. Oh, Excuse that. Yeah, and she's like, oh, okay, that's good. <laughs> you know, like yeah, all was... all of that's so Your good. Your movie had comedy. Your mo- This is what I. This is what I love going back and watching Door to Dark Worlds, and I'm like, yo. There's no way Ragnarok would have been Ragnarok without Dark Worlds. And one of the lines I didn't catch um, that sets up that whole banquet, that banquet table goat thing, I remembered for years. Because I thought it was one of the most hilarious things a father could ever tell his son when he brings his girlfriend home. I thought it was like one of the funniest, like, hands Yeah, down. she belongs here like a goat belongs at a table. Oh, yeah, my like, God. All of that shit had me dying. But something happened in this film. He says something in this film that I guess I never caught before, which is, like, why would you waste your time on a human? Their existence from life to death is a blink in your existence. Why would you waste your time? That is true. And that's something that Loki says afterwards when, when it looks like Jane's dying. He's like, you know, one day you're going to end up having to see her die like that's what's gonna happen because you're eventually gonna have to see her as an old woman right yeah and and when that happens it'll be a a blink of time to you it'll be like a week past because what's a hundred years to someone who lives a hundred thousand isn't asgard itself like in the comics wasn't isn't asgard heaven no asgard asgard is the um oh no i'm thinking of valhalla yeah you think about valhalla asgard is um yeah, because they they go to great lengths in this film to say we're not immortal. Remember, it's like we live, yeah. we die, we 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 get stabbed, we can be, be hurt, and we can die. And then Loki's like, yeah, after yeah, five thousand years, yeah, but you're also looking at a Thor like that, that took a dying star to the back. When was this? So, Infinity War uh, when he opened up Nindavellir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He took yeah. a dying star's energy blast, and he might have he might have been dying if it wasn't for Mjolnir. They, they gave you know. Groot gives him Mjolnir. It's well, like, that is true. He might have died with if, if Mjolnir didn't wasn't put together. You know, so you, you have a lot of that. Um, I you have like the burden of destiny. You have the pressures of leadership, not knowing 
whether or not to break rules to to get the result that you want, which I think is a really a really interesting part of ruling, right? It's like you set up these rules. Should you break them? <laughs> to, to, no, to, 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 not to, if you set them up. Right, but then it's like, well, if I break, what if breaking them uh, helps you become a better society? Or breaking one without yeah, but you have knowing. to look at it in the categorical imperative. You have to be okay with somebody else making up rules and then breaking those rules as right. well. And that becomes so you a slippery can't get slope. Mad at somebody else for breaking the rules they make when you do the same thing. Yeah, that becomes a slippery slope. And but the thing is, like you see in this film, Thor has to, um, you know, go against Odin's wishes, which is not something easy to do, especially after the loss of his mother. But he ultimately chooses it as the right thing to do. Um, and I, think- I felt that that was an emotional turn. I didn't think that that was a, a, a an intelligent move. It the might, it might have been. Dies, he starts. It might have been, but the thing is, what he sensed was between the two, Odin was way more emotional. But if we're still getting an emotionally driven, not thinking right Thor, what was the point of the first film? No, what I was think the point I think us that hero's journey. But that's the thing. I think be the same exact Thor. I think that we're supposed to. Thor's supposed to lead differently than Odin. I think that they they do great things between the trilogy to show us how, how different of a leader uh, Thor would be to Odin. Odin seems okay, to be like the kind of Okay, but how they did it in Black Panther compared to here. What do you mean? L- like the way the father, the way uh, T'Chaka was in his leadership, to the way T'Challa was in his leadership. Well, the thing it is, was- we've never seen we've never seen Thor as king. Damn, that is true. Three movies we've never seen him as we've, king. We've seen him practice his diplomatic skills right like we've seen him lead we've right. seen him fight an army uh-huh 100 percent. and the thing is if, we've never seen him sit the throne yeah if if or when odin decides to go and have war against the the dark elves he's plunging asgard into that war his anger is plunging his entire realm into that war the soldiers the children the mothers all of it with, which you see thor did with in ragnarok wow, right Jesus right Christ. with with um his escape uh, Thor and Loki's escape by themselves, they minimize the casualties and they take the fight over to Svartalheim, minimizing all the casualties in Asgard. So it's like you've got to break with it uh, to make an omelet, break a few eggs. Um, and I yeah, guess, but does that mean that you that, that you should just willingly break eggs? Does that mean you should or never eat omelets? <laughs> omelet, you have to actually break the egg. But that's, what, but that's what I'm saying. Does that mean you should never have omelets? to be honest with you that was always a weird analogy to me because it's like to make an omelet you have to break a few eggs and it's like wait do you mean like accidentally drop some eggs on the floor or do you mean you have to actually literally break eggs to make that omelet i guess it's i think it's the actual physical and the idea is that you don't if if you think you're gonna get away from this unmessy if you think you're gonna get away from always gonna get dirty right you need to break eggs to make an omelet so if you thought you're gonna get out of breaking eggs you know, that's not happening because you need to break eggs to make an omelet. Um, and so, yeah, I, I loved Hemdal trying to take down that ship. I loved that whole invasion uh, part of the film. I want to talk. I want to talk. <laughs> I want to talk, talk shit, but I can't talk shit about this movie. You know, they, so they what that that Hemdal thing is a is a bit tropey, as in I've seen it before, but it always works to me. The idea that one enemy comes in and you take mad long to take it down because it's so powerful and then you turn around and there's a hundred of them that's been done a bunch of times but it still works oh, of in course this. it was in birds of prey when they had the little final fight scene and they fought all the guys in the ice in the the rink and then they go outside and there's a whole bunch of them there with guns 
And then Ultron, right. when they bring all the Ultron robots in. Uh, I was like, yeah, yeah. Dude, is that all? So, oh man, <laughs> my favorite. I think I think it was when um, oh when when uh, Heimdall calls in Odin and the guards into his room. He's like, there's a traitor, and they're like, who? He takes out his sword. Oh, he's yeah. like, me. Yeah. I'm like, yo, Heimdall is the man. Yeah, I, it was really it's really so- cool to see him, um, just oh, like run man. running that running the Bifrost, uh, uh kind of like kind of like doing um. Uh, what do you call it? Co-worker talk with Thor? Like, Thor, Thor just stops by. Yeah, we got a lot of that chemistry kinda... in the first Thor, so it was pretty awesome that they still did it in this one. Oh, that's one of the things I wanted to say. This movie is the first movie to give us permission to like Loki. Yeah, it is. We have Once permission you his this mother, time. You made him sympathetic. That was it. We, you may have liked him before, and you may have dug him before, but this is the first film that tries to put him in a heroic light, even though it's a little bit of a shade of a heroic light. And I think by doing that, you created more of a third-dimensional character that ends Am up... I wrong to say that Loki was never a villain? <laughs> he does villain things. He I think he's he's a villain. I think he's a villain, and I think that what happens is we can't allow trauma to dictate whether or not the things we do are justified. Because take if, every take every one of Thor of not Thor take every one of Loki's um the movies that he's in right. you have the first Thor Thor to Dark Worlds Ragnarok Avengers you have Avengers and Infinity War yeah now take every moment that he had in those each and every one of those movies and his good stuff trumps his bad he legit sacrificed himself in Infinity War he sacrificed himself in Dark Worlds it, but, it, like that's pretty heroic to me but. But I think it should be said that um, if you put all his put all his good acts together, they would have to compete with all of the length of Avengers. There's no good acts in that. So he all his yeah, bad he acts. He is the villain of Avengers. Yeah, all That's his right. bad acts would have to be up there. I'm talking about brainwashing Hawkeye, brainwashing Selvig, killing some of the members of Shield, killing those guys in Germany. Showing the guy for the eye. Uh, bringing the Chitauri army to decimate New York. All of that's just in Avengers alone. And then, you know, he's killed. he sent a destroyer out there in Thor 1. Um, he sacrifices himself in Infinity War because he has an Infinity Stone that he stole. He did still. Do <laughs> you, you understand what I'm saying? So it's Damn like, it. So he so got it's cr- like, it's like yeah, he finally he's... got caught in his own lie. Now he has to actually. They would have the never. Odds are they would have never even went to the ship. You see how how Thanos just pushed the the Avengers to the side when he was fighting them? He didn't want to kill them. He just wanted them out of his way. And odds are Thanos would have passed right by Thor's ship full of Asgardians. Yeah, technically, Thanos didn't kill any Avengers until he took the Mind Stone out of Vision. And he killed Loki because Loki tried to stab him. (laughs) <laughs> Loki, yeah. tried to, Loki, Loki lied to him and tried to stab him. Right, so he, exactly. So he killed that man. But besides that, you know, he really wasn't trying to have his hands on any of that stuff. Meanwhile, when you have Thanos show up in oh, 2014, Thanos show up in Endgame. He's covered in blood. <laughs> he's like he's, all his armor and his and his sword are covered in blood, meaning that he went out there and did it. You know, he got his hands dirty. Um, but to, to think that if Loki would have not stolen the Tesseract, that they might have all still been alive is a crazy. It's a crazy thought. Yeah, but then the test rock would be floating in space and he would have the stone no matter what. Yeah, yeah. They say these things are... Um, he's inevitable, right? That's what he says. He is. He No, he's a, he's a measurable, inexorable, inevitable, and monstrous. Yeah. The last he thing <laughs> the last thing I want to say uh, about this film that I liked is I liked all the, like, the Foley work. 
Like I liked all the sound oh, 100%. effects. The yeah. Bifrost 100%. sound effect. All the linear sound effects. Yeah. All that, yeah. All of that. You could just feel it. Um, you know, the sounds of the spaceships. Um, uh, th- those weird gr- gravity grenades. I guess that's what Quill uses, right? Yeah, that is what Quill those uses. Those weird, like, suck you in and <laughs> send you into a black <laughs> hole kind <laughs> of thing. Yeah, those shit. All right, my favorite scene of the movie, straight up. This is 100% my favorite scene of the movie. Thor and Loki getting away and Loki driving the ship with his handcuffs. I was just thinking about that with that whole, like, don't slam it, just press it. (laughs) I am pressing it and him banging on it. (laughs) Loki, what are you doing? Well, if it was that easy, everyone would do it. I'm like, yeah, bro, this is amazing. Seeing Seeing Loki and Thor being brothers, but brothers at odds with differences, it's so... Goddamn realistic. And, I don't... And not only that, but you get the most realistic thing, which is Loki making fun of the fact that Thor made new friends. Right? Like, that's yeah. your brother. Like, oh, you think you're cool with your friends? I'll turn into one of them. Yo, uh, and yo, I've seen mid-90s, and that was an exact scene in mid-90s where Lucas Hedges was going to the kid like, oh, you think you're cool now because you got some skater friends? And it's like, yeah, yeah that's awesome. exactly what it was. Oh, maybe I should turn into one of your friends. Oh, I could just feel the righteousness coursing through me. USA. That was, that was USA. great. That was that was great. Where he turns into Captain America. He's like, oh, yes, I am. I feel powerful. <laughs> and when, when he turns uh, Thor into Lady Sif, and Thor's like, I would still kill you in this form. <laughs> He's like, mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. I, can, I can totally still kill you in and this it's, form. And it's, it's that camaraderie, it's that level of chemistry that gives us in Ragnarok, that scene where he's like, all right, you want to play helper or whatever? Where he's like, no, I don't want to do it. And he has to help my brother, please. And he throws oh, Loki yes. into the get guards. Get help. Get help. We're not doing get help. The get help. Well, yeah. That, <laughs> yes, we are. You don't get that get help scene in Ragnarok without getting them together, like, bantering, arguing. So I have a question. Um, just and I, th- and an I, I don't think I don't think there's a black and white answer. I think it all is, depends on your interpretation. But... Why do you think Loki as Odin tells the things to Thor at the end of this film? Oh, straight up? So he doesn't... All right. So you think it's so he you doesn't know, get you know suspicious? Your yes, you know your parents. I thought some of you it was a little heartfelt. I thought a little, at least a little bit was heartfelt. You don't think it, any of it? Had, well, maybe... I don't know. All right. <laughs> I always felt like... I'm just I, being optimistic. I always felt you know? Loki loved his brother at the end of the day. Okay. At the end of the day, I always felt that even if... All right, you know your destiny. My destiny is I'm a, I'm, a bi- I'm a frost giant. I'm evil at the end of the day. But you're being raised by someone who doesn't see you as evil. You're being raised by someone that loves you. So a lot of that dialogue at the end of the movie was true heartfelt from Loki. But most of it is I can't let you know that I'm not your real father and you need to not get suspicious Damn. of me. Because you even see the smile when Thor goes away and he turns back into Loki. You see the smile from Loki. Can it, like, can it be? Yes, can it be a little bit him. of both? Can it be a little bit of both? Can it, it can. be? It can. can it be? No, it can. It, he would. I'm gonna tell him something nice because then he'd be less likely to come back and have beef with me. <laughs> kind of. And stuff. you see in Ragnarok where he's like, "I mourned for you." Yeah. You yeah. died in my arms, and I mourned for you. Yeah, like, I you think don't the get biggest that level of emotion without this movie. I think the biggest ball dropped is what happened to Odin after this film. I think that's a humongous ball that they dropped in Ragnarok. See, that was my thing. I feel like as soon as his wife died, that man went into his Odin sleep. It's like he went to a Cracker Barrel and got some. <laughs> no, he went to Switzerland, wasn't it? Or yeah, Sweden? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Which they were setting up for. They were setting up for uh, Endgame. Because um, I saw that I saw that this movie's so perfect. I saw the Taika. I saw the Taika Watiti um commentary on Ragnarok, and he said that originally, as you see the you see the scene with the hammer, um, where Hella's smashing the hammer and Hella's smashing the hammer in New York, and so that scene was supposed to take place in New York, but um, they had to go to that place. I think it's Scotland. Um, to I think it was Scotland to uh, set up that that place exists and that Odin felt good there, so Thor would put his people there. But yeah, it was supposed to take place in New York. There's supposed to be more stuff in New York, Odin in New York, stuff like that. But they changed it to fit Endgame, which seems to be like what everyone's doing in this. But um, yeah, it was good to see a Thor fully powered. It was good to see a Thor that was confident in his actions. I like Jane Foster. I like um, Darcy. As a character, I like Selvig as a character. Some of that stuff may get a little too jokey, but um, I think it's perfectly balanced Did, with the uh, murders. You know I, I I personally feel like that Selvig stuff, the Darcy stuff, the the on Earth stuff was like drinking water when you're eating a lot of bread. That was look the romantic at, look, comedy stuff. That was the yeah. yeah. And you know what? I straight up would I straight up if that's what they would have given me in the first door. Half of it there. I mean, Thor, Thor one. Oh yeah, I was about to say Thor one. I think it's straight up romantic comedy almost. No, straight up, it's straight up romantic comedy. But if they would have at least given us both the mix of science and religion, because I feel like, like Mandalorian, uh, as Guardianist, the the Norse, it's a religion not of faithfulness and spirituality, but more of a religion of culture. Yes, like it's your culture. To be like this, like once you once you put on the armor, you're you're giving yourself to a higher power. To, the power's in their hands, and it's all about your training. If they would have given us a, a a Thor one that we could like relate to Asgard, as well as giving us the on Earth stuff, it would have been fine. But this movie really did give us that balance of here's a lot of bread, here's all the Olive Garden breadsticks, but every once in a while, here's a sip of water so your mouth isn't dry. Unlimited power. Unlimited, Unlimited breadsticks. Power. Unlimited breadsticks. Wow. So you're not worthy. Um. You know, we went around and we 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 we, we set we we try to t- take the temperature. You know, and we went around to on Facebook and asked a couple people. You know, uh, how they felt about this film. I have one group that I put that I asked the question. I posed the question: Which was the worst film, Thor: The Dark World or The Incredible Hulk? And the uh, score seems to be they think that Thor The Dark World was worse. 585 to Thor, 304 to uh, Hulk. No, yeah, I was, um, especially on the comic book click uh, Facebook page or the that, did that not blow personal up? page, my personal page. Did that not yeah, that blow up? <laughs> that, and everybody I, started coming to Thor, 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 Thor. It's like, uh, I guess the fan. If we're going to go by the fan's choice, the fans chose Thor as the worst. But. Well, no, I, like I was saying, I had one group that without a shadow of a doubt, chose Thor as the worst. But then I have another group here that 388 chose Hulk, 247 chose Thor. Hmm. That's what I'm yeah. saying. So, so it's, it's, it's... Talk it's, about my lines. Yo, it is funny. Obviously, people, both of those uh, different groups had starkly, you know, big gaps between what they liked and what they didn't. But yeah, it but goes to show you... They all see the same thing, is Thor had an unforgettable villain. Thor was... For, uh, sorry, a Thor forgettable had a forgettable villain. villain. Yeah. It was uh, uh, yeah, a I said on. It was a forgettable villain and a forgettable story where at least people remembered why they didn't like Hulk. People don't remember why they didn't like Dark Worlds, and that's the crutch of it all. Like 
how can you not like something because you don't remember not liking it or not? Like, I can give it to you that you think Thor is worse if you actually yesterday watched Thor and Hulk and say Thor is worse. But to to say, I don't remember Thor, but I remember Hulk and Thor's worse. I can't I, I can't get behind that, to be honest with you. It, it is an odd uh, criticism to have. And I will go so far as to say that after seeing... Um, after seeing both, I'm happy I went back and watched Hulk. You know, I I now I know what definitively after, you know, it's two like it's 2008. That film came out 12 years ago, so like I definitively know what I like and what I don't. Um, and I might re- revisit it again, but I'm I'm putting Dark World up a couple more notches than I than I usually do, because I I really enjoyed this rewatch of it, and um, I think we did I think we did good by these films. <laughs> what do you think? I think when push came to shove, the indefensible got great. defended. Yo, yo, because you know what it is—is is people don't remember these movies. I'm real. I know. I'm. This is probably the first, which is worse, where I haven't actually really said why your film was worse. And I just have to admit that I can't. I I love Thor: The Dark Worlds, man, and I do love Thor: The Dark Worlds more than Hulk. But I love both those movies, and I think that they both do great things for a future franchise. Even if you take them by themselves, they don't do enough. Hmm. Well, no, no, no. Thor to Dark World. If you would just take away all of MCU and only have Thor 1 and Thor 2, some context needs Avengers. But in all sense, I feel like Thor the Dark World was an absolute better sequel than Thor. And I also feel that The Incredible Hulk was a better handled Hulk movie than Ang Lee's. Yes. And and the thing is, like, I think the most tragic part about the Incredible Hulk film is the idea that it that there were so many cooks in the kitchen. The idea that this got taken away from Norton when it was also taken away from the director. It got taken away by a handful of people. And I think that ultimately we uh, suffered because of it. Because it doesn't end up being one focused story. And to being a checklist of things we have to do to get this film out. And that sucks. But I also feel like a lot of that was with Dark Worlds too, where it felt like a checklist to get Ragnarok and Infinity War out. Yeah. <sighs> but I think we did a, like you said, I think we did a great job defending two. I, I don't know. I don't see them as indefensible films for some reason. Well, at least, even at least your film. Well, when when like things he... when things I think when things are as bright as the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I like uh, I, honest to God, we're grateful to be living in a time where they treat comic book movies as seriously and as serialized and as connected as the Marvel Cinematic Universe is. And I think when you and have... as gritty and graphic and real, like you you like are you, you are you a these... middle are you a middle brownie person piece person or are you a corner brownie piece person? Uh, if if we were to go by what's the first brownie I would take when it's done, corner. Corner. I need because I need the stability. That corner piece, it it fits straight into the bends of my fingers. It's that stability. Yeah. But if we're going like, if we're going Sicilian pizza, yeah, I take the middle of the Sicilian pizza. Okay. Because every bite is this blended doughy goodness like it's and that's how it is with movies it's weird with me like sometimes i'll see a movie that's a corner piece and i don't like it but sometimes i'll see a movie that that's a middle piece and i love it it's it's this is a pizza this is a pizza with that split in threes and made by (laughs) norton 
Letterer and Marvel. No, and four and Paramount. And some and yep. no one told each other what <clears throat> toppings they were gonna put on it. So Marvel's is a dessert pizza with Nutella and marshmallow. Oh, so so and... basically this movie's a camel. Yes. Yeah. This movie's a horse designed by I mean it's not it's not cam it's not a camel as bad as um Justice League. But Oh no, that's a that's a goddamn camel. It's a two headed camel. <laughs> <laughs> Two-headed camel with, a, with a penis and udders. That's a two-headed camel. So I'm just saying, people, put down the Tiger King. You feel me? Go watch Community and first and foremost. Toast London. Yeah, uh, toss in some Toast of London and Community. Get those up on the on the on the ranking systems there. But also go back Dude, to Disney Community's Plus. Community's at number eight now. Yeah, I'm so happy. Go back I'm to so Disney happy. Plus and go and and rewatch these films. I think they deserve a rewatch. Um, and we have to put a disclaimer that you can't watch Incredible Hulk on Disney Plus, though. That's... Yeah, I, I couldn't. I own it. So that's how I was able to watch it. But initially, when looking for it, I couldn't find it anywhere. I was like, what the hell? It's nope. like, are it's you like sure you want to find it? Are you sure you want to watch yeah, it? Yeah, you sure? Did you, did you mean Iron Man? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> oh, my God. That's hilarious. That's funny stuff. But yeah, man, you had to go out of your way to find this film, which is very, very weird. But um, that's sad, man. Norton now, so now, now, when you talk to Norton, he's like, oh yeah, you know, he's very amicable about the whole split. No, no, hold on, because I remember it was it was like two years ago during Bruce Willis's roast, or like last year in August during Bruce Willis's roast, because I watched it with my ex, <laughs> and it was Edward Norton's time to go up and roast, and he did what what um Jonah Hill did at the James Franco roast. He talked about himself. And, re- and aired all of his grievances. And when he got onto the Marvel thing, when he got onto the Hulk thing, he was actually angry. Like, like actual, like, mad. He's like, oh, they kicked me off? Why? Why? Because I wanted a better script. That's why. I'm like, yo, Norton, chill. That's a lot. <laughs> He's like, yeah, he literally said. With- yeah, he like, said, I did a action. big action movie called The Incredible Hulk. You know what went wrong? I wanted a better script. Yeah, but the way he says, like, I wanted a better script, and he's like pushing his hands. I thought we would podium. try to make. I thought we would try to make one Marvel movie that was as good as the worst Chris Nolan movie. But what the hell was I thinking? <laughs> what is what is going what? on? <laughs> Yo, it's a very upset man. Like, what? What is even the worst Chris Nolan, Christopher Nolan movie? The following. Yeah, right. That was his debut, and he funded it himself. What's the worst Chris Nolan movie? Memento. <sighs> Poor guy, Pierce. I don't know, oh, but, but but that's a hell of a it's a hell of a hill to climb. <laughs> you know, hell of a hill. I uh, want to make a Dark Knight film. I don't think that they got close. I would argue he and he's gone to great lengths of talked about the artsy stuff that he's wanted to do with the character and that there's a duality. I do think, honestly, my opinion that the Hulk is a very particular character. Ultimately, a one note character. I think you have to do some ex extraneous things to that story to make it interesting right now there's a current comic going on called immortal hulk and it is amazing but it's a hulk story like we've never been told before where the hulk is almost shown as a horror a horror monster you know and um it's about it's about relinquishing like we were talking about before the complete control over to the hulk and um there was a hulk story not to cut you off there was a hulk story i don't know if it was continuity if that's how they ended the actual Incredible Hulk title, but I remember a decade ago, maybe more than that, my cousin was telling me about a Hulk story where, like, this nuclear bomb went off and killed 
everybody on Earth. But the only person that survived was Hulk because he's already full of gamma radiations. And he was living for a long time. And then finally, he just got so calm and so accepting of it all. Like, he was roaming Earth for years by himself because of, it was just a world full of like radiation poisoning. He finally turns back to Bruce Banner. And then dies of radiation poisoning. And that's how the comic ends. I remember <laughs> so, my cousin told me about that comic. So that comic is one issue. It's called Hulk the End. And, oh, so um, you know it. Okay, thank God. No, I, I just thank looked God it up. That... Oh, you did. <laughs> I just looked it up. The story follows the narrative of Bruce Banner and the Hulk following a war which ended in a violent nuclear holocaust that only he could have that survived. That was it, yeah. Yeah, it was written in 2012. Um, oh, so then this wasn't that long ago that my cousin... No, sorry, 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 sorry. 2002. <laughs> okay, thank God. 2002, yeah. 2002. Yeah, 2002. Um, and yeah, most people, when they think of the Hulk, they just want him to smash things. And that can be very problematic when he's the hero of your story. And you don't want innocent people being injured or any of that kind of stuff. But they did their best. They tried their best. They did their best with both of these films. And I know I have a bigger appreciation to both of them now. Uh, hopefully... You do as well. Um, and I know that while we were talking about two malign films, this is somebody's favorite film. My film is somebody's favorite film. Your film is somebody's favorite film. And for the first time in probably forever, they heard somebody passionately defend it. And that's what we do. Here. No, and you know what? You know what? Straight up, that's mm. the beauty about which was worse. Because at the end of the day, there is 7.8 billion people on this planet. Somebody's favorite movie is going to be Electra or Fan Four Stick or Spirit of Vengeance, or Iron Man 3, or Hulk, someone's favorite movie is going to be it. And we, we as people, can't tell them that they're wrong. Yeah. Art is subjective, man. My, one, of, one of my favorite movies is probably one of the most hated movies. Um, Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, Not even as comic yeah. book movies, as far as movies go. Yeah. Ask me what's one of my favorite movies of all time. Amazing Spider-Man. I've seen it a hundred times. I've seen it three times in theaters, back to back. Right. Like, we... So... I, all I ever wanted with, the, with, with this witch was worse was for someone to come out of this and say, damn, that was really not as bad as I thought it was. Maybe if somebody like them can can find the, the good stuff about it, we can. Exactly. That's all I hope for. Yeah, that's all we're trying to do here. And it just felt apropos to do it now with everyone being home and everyone trying to literally looking at the worst sides of, of everything, of big government, of, of, of business, of the healthcare system, literally yeah, poking we're, the holes We're, we're in a that. time where nobody trusts anybody. Like, who, who's in who's doing this coronavirus? Is it the government? Is it China? Is it Big Pharma? Was it the guy that ate a bat? Was it just because... Is it cell people? phone towers? <laughs> we got a bunch Is of people. Is it cell Yep, the 5Gs. 5G radiation. We you can't know? handle it. There's there's a bunch there's a bunch of stuff going on. So with everything in flux and with everything confusing and not being able to know what's gonna happen next, we can guarantee that we won't be in flux. We can guarantee that at the very least you still get the major issues podcast every single Wednesday. We've yet to miss a single episode. Um and knock on wood. Knock on wood. And you know that we uh majority of our episodes, all of our episodes, our entire library exists at comicbookclick.com. Uh, comicbookclick.com is the one-stop shop yeah. of your comic book drop. That's it. That's where we have our merchandise. That's where we have every episode of the Major Issues podcast, some articles. Um, that's where you can find out about us, all the ones that contribute to the comic book click. No, no uh, funny shit. Speaking stuff. of which, I was looking at because uh, I have you on Instagram, of course. I follow all the social medias of comic book click because I am a clicker. 
Uh-huh. But I, uh, your T public thing that you dropped for the twenty five percent off, or whatever. Yeah, I saw a little baby onesie. I'm like, oh my god. Oh yeah. No, we daughter? have yeah, we have onesies. Oh, yeah. We have comic book click onesies and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and it's I'm, crazy. I saw, see, I'm gonna have to get this for my friend's daughter. She's gonna have to be wearing a, a comic book click onesie. <laughs> That's just how it goes. Yeah, you know, you guys can go ahead and support um comic book click by. You know, monetarily, if you want to monetarily support Comic Book Click, all you have to do is go to comicbookclick.com, go to that icon that says Shop CBC, and it'll take you right to our Public shop with all designs created by me uh, about comic books and Comic Book Click in general. Um, there's some great designs on there, so go ahead and check that out. Uh, but if you don't, if you want to support us non-monetarily, you should rate and review us on iTunes because it's the quickest way for us to grow as podcasters and find out what you like and what you don't like about this show that we've been doing thus far. We want to make sure that we're giving you guys the very best that we can and uh, any input on that would be welcome. I think we have 10 ratings and I think that they're all five stars. So that's that's incredibly you know we're incredibly humbled by that but that also puts the pressure on and makes us make sure that every time we come back to you guys every wednesday that we bring our a game and it's been a hell of a challenge but it's been incredibly fun and rewarding for the entirety of the major issues podcast and major issues podcast is brought to you by comic book click we turned two years old uh well this time next week uh is the ninth is the no no this time next week we'll be we'll be already be uh thing i think um, yeah, this time, this, the next episode after this, we would already been two years old. So it, that's a great thing to know that, uh, we've, we've made it this far all on the support of you guys. So thank you guys. Oh yeah. So four, t- 420. <laughs> I try not to put it in those terms, but yes, April 20th <laughs> is the uh, birthday. For... <laughs> okay, fine. April 20th. April 20th yes, com- is the birthday. Com- for Complex, Complex. What, four years old. Four years old. Yes. Four years four old. Years and old. now they we have, have a website been for three. So website podcast. I've been with you for three years, George. Since before the podcast, since before the, uh, before the website, I met you in like 2016, and then all of a sudden, I I wake up one day. I'm part, major issues is up. We have running. old I'm part of it. Like yeah, two weeks later, it's like what's we have going on? there's there's old logos for comic book clicking that T public thing. Like we we've definitely had a journey, and I hope that more of you guys find a way to join us on the rest of this journey. Uh, like I said, by going to comicbookclick.com or letting us know what you think about anything by going to facebook.com slash comicbookclick, Instagram at comicbookclick, or using the hashtag comicbookclick to talk about the newest, hottest, latest, and greatest things to come to comic books and comic book media. We also have um, major issue at major issue CBC is our Twitter handle. Um, we got a shout out recently on Mr. Sunday Movies. Uh, podcast called the Weekly Planet, which was amazing. And like I said, you I guys can't have believe been... we act that actually happened. Yeah, you guys have been like I said, raiding and buying merch and all this kind of stuff. You guys are what keep us afloat. So keep doing what you're doing, uh, and we'll keep doing what we do. Uh, we love to do it for you guys. And next week, I'm gonna have GT on the cast, and we'll be talking about Superman versus the Elite, which is a one of my favorite Superman stories, and I think it's the one that actually first turned me around on this on the hero um and i can't wait to get into any of that stuff there but um i think we're about done how you feeling about this i think this was great but it was also not fair to me because like <laughs> I, did you raise your hand and say that i i think this is not fair to me <laughs> this is this is i don't know man this is like like i understood where where my what i was doing when i decided to defend fan four stick and decided to, to defend iron man three and, and electra yeah but here it's like i 
didn't know what I was getting into because you know me. You know Hulk is one of my favorites of the MCU, and I haven't seen Thor The Dark World since, like, 2014. Yeah, me so too. I hadn't seen it in years. Up, so when I ended up throwing on Thor The Dark World, I threw on Thor The Dark, Thor the Dark World first because it was the most convenient to throw on. It was right on Disney+, Plus, right on my TV, bam. Yeah. This, like, Hulk I had to watch on my Kindle, but here was straight convenience. I'm 20 minutes in, and I'm like, Holy shit, this is already one of the best MCU films I've ever seen. Like, I really like the Asgard score too, by the way. They have an yeah. Asgard score, but that the one that gets me is the Frigga's funeral score. When they put all the little light balls in the air. Um, oh, yeah. All the, where they're shooting the arrows. Yeah, the Viking funeral. And I was just like, man, damn, this that is like beautiful. I'm not going to front. I was like, this is a that beautiful, this is all beautiful. And it ends with the Loki moment that we were talking about. Um. And so, yeah, oh, all good stuff. But you guys, go watch and those you know, films. Go ahead, brother. I, I didn't bring it up during The Witch's Worst, but I wanted to say that, that that was the reason why that's one of my favorite scenes. Probably not not just my favorite, but I think it's the best scene of the movie because it was a from her death to the uh, to the to like the next 20, like it was 15 minutes of no dialogue. Yeah. It was like a 10-minute scene. No dialogue, bombastic score, and everybody emoting to the camera. Yeah. Perfect, yeah, and it makes that Absolute it makes perfect. that tragic speech that he gives in uh, Infinity War about losing everybody it, so much more weight because you remember. Oh yeah, we're, oh yeah, we were just talking to 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 Rocket. Yeah. yeah, perfect, absolutely perfect. You got to see it have more weight. Um, I'm doing my best not to gain any more weight on this quarantine, but I will doing I will also be doing my best to uh, read my weight worth in comics. And so make sure you guys are here next week for the Major Issues podcast where we will cover. Uh, we're covering, I forgot, Superman versus the Elite. <laughs> Superman versus the Elite. But, uh, my name is George Serrano, aka The Don. I am Dan, the comic book man. And this was our Which Was Worse, the sixth episode of Which Was Worse, where we pit the Incredible Hulk against Thor the Dark World. And remember, whether you pronounce Mjolnir as Mew Mew, whether you think that uh, Liv Tyler is a great uh, cellular biologist, well, you're, whether you're mad that we didn't get the leader, from the Hulk, or you're mad that uh, um, they said Abomination was supposed to be in Age of Ultron, or if you're mad that uh, Thor died his eyebrows in Thor 1, but not Thor 2, or if you just want to see a little bit more of Lady Sith, which I do, remember that you are the clique, and you, yes, you are worthy. <laughs>